Now we are back in Disney World, and to prove it, here's the Mickey Mouse review. Welcome to the Diamond Horse, you come on and dance with me. Be a part of Goofy's Country Dancing Jamboree. We're going to bring ghosts from all over the world, but we haven't got the ghosts in there yet. We're out collecting the ghosts. Hurry up, everybody. You won't want to miss this. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 574. And I'm here once again not only to help you have the best vacation experience when you go to the Disney parks, but I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with the podcast, live broadcast on Facebook every Wednesday night, videos, blogs, special events, audio tours, and more. Whether it's your first time visiting or you've been to the parks hundreds of times, if you're planning a Disney vacation or love the history, details, secrets, and stories, there's something in the show for you because each week I'm going to take you with me from the parks to the screens and everything in between. And if you're a new listener, welcome. Thank you. Please go back and check out some or all the past episodes for interviews, top tens, reviews, and more. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and find everything over at www.radio.com. So this week, we're going to take a close, really personal look at Star Wars, what was, what is, and what will be, as the rise of Skywalker, the rise of the Resistance, the Mandalorian, Galaxy's Edge, and the Galactic Star Cruiser are all part of an epic legacy. And we're going to explore and discuss them both individually as well as collectively, how they fit together, and what the future holds on the screens and in the Disney parks. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have more information about our next WW Radio Meet of the Month during a marathon weekend, your voicemails, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. A long time ago, about 42 years by my calculations, in a galaxy far, far away, and for me, that galaxy was Middlesex Mall in South Plainfield, New Jersey, everything changed forever. Because Star Wars was not just a movie, it was an event, it was a a paradigm shift, not just for science fiction, but for movies and pop culture. And it didn't just have a a ripple effect. It was more like like a tsunami effect on the genre, the medium, and what would end up being generations of people around the world. 
and I still remember the first time I saw Star Wars like it was yesterday and the profound effect that it had on me and my family, my relationships with my dad and, and others, and yes, even the trajectory of what would become my passion and eventually my career, but all good things, right? Um, the ninth movie in the Star Wars saga brought with it a sense of closure, uh, finality, and a wide, very wide <laughs> spectrum of emotions, both positive and otherwise from people. Twitter, I'm talking to you. Uh, but it also represents something else, and that's a new beginning. Not just a new chapter, but I think really a new book. And the stories that will and are being told will not just be confined to the silver screen, but the small ones, uh, the ones in the palm of our hand, the ones in our living room, and the adventures that we can not only live out, but create on our own. The Rise of Skywalker, The Rise of the Resistance, The Mandalorian, Galaxy's Edge, the Galactic Star Cruiser, they're all part of this epic legacy, a story that's our story. And this week, we're going to look at them both individually as well as collectively, how they fit together and what the future holds both on the screens and in the parks. And joining me are two men who are very worthy of the Jedi robes that I know that they wear. I sort of envision you guys walking around the house wearing them pretty much all day long, not to make it creepy, but I want to welcome back to the show Dan Zare from coffeewithkenobi.com. You may remember. <laughs> yes. Well, hello. That's. Uh, I really like that you kept my seat nice and warm for me. That's very, very kind of you. And yes, um, the Jedi robes get um, taken to the dry cleaners once a week, but then, of course, we get them back, get all the Wookiee fur out, and we are in good shape. <laughs> now you're just making it weird and creepy. But Dan's been on the show. We talked, wow, back in, I think, 2015 about Star Wars weekends, then yep. Galaxy's Edge, Star Wars Celebration, um, I, I think, recap, and, and lots of other stuff. And also coming back to the show from the for from Forcecast.net is Ryan Donahoe. Lou, Dan. Uh, good to be here. Very excited. I don't know about you, but I've never been more pumped up for Star Wars. So uh, just two episodes later, Lou, and I'm back and uh, I can go all night. So let's do this. Yeah, there's there's a lot to cover. Um, and, and Ryan was there for the we did the live review of Rise of the Resistance. <clears throat> we were also together at Star Wars Celebration. And Ryan also put together the next stop end or the story, the story of Star Tours audio documentary, which was uh, I was honored to be a part of and really, really a, a great look at the attraction. But um, I know, <clears throat> excuse me, your fandom, like mine, um, goes far back. I mean, really more so for you guys, your fandom is is both a while my while a mile wide. I talk for a living, I promise. A mile wide and a mile deep. But I really want to sort of start simply because there is a lot to sort of go over and digest. And I think we even said this before we went live. And it really is a wonderful, amazing time to be a Star Wars fan. Dare I say the best time in history because there's so much to consume, so much to do, so many mediums and the, the experience is no longer passive. And in fact, one of the reasons why I wanted to do it this way and talk about it is to a certain degree, everything old is new again. So sort of just touch on, you know, Dan and then Ryan, this this current state of 
Star Wars fandom. You you brought up something at the beginning of the show that I think taps into why Star Wars is so beloved in our culture. I mean, how many movies do you know that people will go out opening weekend and take pictures in front of the poster, right? Or will recall the first time that they saw a Star Wars film in a movie theater or on their screens in the privacy of their homes. Star Wars is about the only thing that does that. I saw it at the Dew Twin Drive-In in Metairie, Louisiana for the very first time in the summer of 1978. We tried going a bunch of times in 1977. It was always sold out. So we, when we finally got the chance to do it, I never forgot it, obviously. I've been talking about it probably every day since then. I don't see that changing anytime soon. And now 2019 was pretty much like Ryan said. This was like the year of Star Wars. You had Celebration. You had the a brand new Star Wars film. You had Galaxy's Edge on both coasts. And then you had Rise of the Resistance adding to Galaxy's Edge and, and Walt Disney World at Hollywood Studios. And then The Mandalorian, Disney Plus comes over into the Mandalorian becomes the top television show on the planet for anything. It's just, uh, it's absolutely remarkable. And then you throw in baby Yoda and <laughs> look out. I mean, it, it is an absolutely glorious time to be a star Wars fan. And then we know in, a, in a, you know, less than a month and a half, we have the return of the clone wars on Disney plus it, it's fantastic. You know, you all are, are, Right. And uh, I, I did not see it in, in 1977 or even 87, 97. I was there, uh, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, but uh, w- what's weird is for Lou and for Dan and for everyone listening, I'm sure mainly probably Disney, but for, for Dan and I, we're the Star Wars guys that everybody knows, our family, friends, coworkers. We all know that we're like really into Star Wars. But what I've noticed in 2019, and especially after The Mandalorian came out, is that Star Wars has gone mainstream in a way that I don't know it ever has since 1977 because not everybody is Empire, believe it or not, Empire Strikes Back is not everyone's favorite movie or Return of the Jedi. Some people still don't like the teddy bears that now blink. Uh, but, <laughs> but for, so there hasn't really been consensus since 1977 in Star Wars fandom. Trust me, Dan and I know. But for the first time ever, I was at work the other day and somebody was like, are you a Star Wars fan? And I was like, you have no idea. Well, they were like, so if I go see this new movie, is that where, where Baby Yoda is? They're asking, they've never seen a Star Wars movie in their life, but they want to go see because everyone's talking about Baby Yoda. Everyone knows uh, we just moved to Orlando about a year and a half ago. So we're locals and everybody's asking me, do we have to get out to the Star Wars land? Do we have to get to the Star Wars land? My grandma's calling me for, for Christmas and she She's like, do you, you like your dad says you like the Star Wars? Where's the baby at? I want to watch the baby. I have never seen so much mainstream Star Wars love. Yeah. And what's funny is the last saga film, Skywalker saga film is out. But yet everyone's posting pictures from hangers of Star Destroyers. And there's baby Yoda smiling at me every time I open up the Internet. So that's how crazy of it is a time it is for Star Wars that the last film comes out. And yet. I'm getting it from all angles, from all different. Everyone's got something else they want to talk about in Star Wars. Well, my wife actually that, said to me the other day, she goes, now don't freak out, but I think I want to watch The Mandalorian. And I said, what? So that's when I knew that the that pretty much this is like end time sign or something like that. It's pretty great. Yeah, all of the planets in the Outer Rim have aligned <laughs> with, again, it's hitting fandom on the nostalgic level, right? Those of us who saw it in 77, it's hitting fandom 
for those people who've never seen anything Star Wars that maybe are coming in because of the child, right? We're not supposed to call him Baby Yoda because I guess technically he's not. Or the theme park fans that are experiencing like this land and all of a sudden are sort of getting wrapped into this literal and figurative Star Wars world. So all these sort of different entrance points are bringing fans together of all different ages and demographics and, and levels of love for the product and the characters and they're really all sort of converging all at once and we're getting this you know to keep it this sort of supernova of fandom and it's amazing and i think you're right we've never seen anything like this before yes in 99 when they announced a episode one <laughs> there was this initial star wars is back right we got excited again that for the first time there was something new coming but even with all of the the animated series and Clone Wars and Rebels and, and there's been little dribs and drabs of of content. Nothing has amounted to where we are right now. And this again, that's why I sort of wanted to talk about these things as the convergence of the big screen, the small screen, the real life experiences, and then what is going on. So maybe that's what we should do. Is sort of let's start with you know the the rise of Skywalker, which I think for a lot of people is. Um, either the, the thing that they've consumed most recently or has sort of brought them back into Star Wars fandom. And, and I want to be very clear, and I think we maybe have even talked about this on some of the shows we've done in the past together. I've been very honest about my personal fandom and that I was so excited when when uh, episode one was announced and I bought all the toys and I went to Toys R Us and I went to the movie theater and I was like, oh my God. And I came out, I was like, okay, I, I need to see it again. And then I saw it again and again. I was like, well, Duel of the Fates is a really good song and, and I really like Obi-Wan Kenobi, but I felt, uh, un unfortunately, like I was sad that my fandom was a steady and then somewhat rapid decline as more stuff came out. I... I was not a huge Clone Wars fan. That might change in the near future. I didn't love the prequels at all. I haven't even really fallen in love with the recent films. I've tried to go back and watch them again, and it just didn't hit me and, and tug on my emotional heartstrings, and then everything changed. Literally everything changed, and I know that sounds like you know a lot of hyperbole, but it's true. I saw Rise of Skywalker, Rise of Sky, and I remember as soon as it was over and as the credits were rolling, I, I grabbed my phone and I had to just brain dump and, and record my thoughts because I couldn't believe how I felt when I when that film was over because I, I laughed and I cried more than once and I said you know as I was looking back at my notes, I said when people see this movie they'll understand what I mean that that this is for you. Um, because I think it's so hard. I think it's nearly impossible to succinctly close out a saga that has spanned 40 years and multiple generations, and I think that's what Rise of Skywalker did. In this nerd's opinion, it accomplished that, and it satisfied Star Wars fans of every age, every trilogy, and every generation. I saw it with my son, and we both had the exact same word, which was we were satisfied. And that's not to minimize our reaction. Like, we were just so 
comfortable and happy and satisfied with the result. And I did. And and again, from a personal perspective, I cried at the movie and I'm going to try not to do it again now, but I cried at the end of the movie because there were moments that I would look over as things were happening. I'd look at my son's face and he looked up at me with that. Oh my God. Wow. That's amazing. And I thought back to being nine years old at Middlesex Mall Cinema and the first time my dad and I, damn it, <laughs> the first time my dad and I saw Star Wars and the Star Destroyer came across the top of the screen for the first time and I looked up at him like, oh my God, like what are we watching? That's the way he looked at me. It's it's a it's a beautiful thing. We um, I got to see it quite a few times the first week. Obviously, I went to the premiere and that was magical because I got to share that with my wife. And that's the thing I talked about earlier in the show is that what Star Wars does, is it, it's it's atmospheric and it's very cultural. I mean, movies are a cultural experience in and of themselves. But these moments that you're talking about, Lou, these memories that we have, who we saw these movies with, particular scenes and moments, they resonate with us. I took my son who was six. His name is Mason. This was the first Star Wars movie he saw in a theater. So when it said a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away and Star Wars blasted and John Williams, his music started to blare, he grabbed his chest and he looked at me like, oh, like he, he was, it was, his breath was taken away. Later he told me he was scared because it just jumped out <laughs> right away. But it was just, it's pure unadulterated magic because it does bring us back to those moments. You mentioned 1999. I subscribed to the USA Today for six months because every day they had a Star Wars nugget in their lifestyle section. So I kept all of them and made a scrapbook. You know, I went and I to the midnight thing at Toys R Us and bought all the toys. I was not crazy about the Phantom Menace, but I still saw it 13 times in the theater until I just found myself in a place where I was okay with it. I was able to overlook certain things and just kind of dial into the things I liked. I loved Qui-Gon Jinn. I loved Darth Maul. I love being in that world again. <laughs> what do you Binks. say? Jar Jar Binks. I know. Jar Jar. Yes, yes. <laughs> Actually, Jar Jar never really bothered me. And what's interesting is that when I first started teaching, all my students loved Jar Jar. And then I watch it with my older kids and they laughed at Jar Jar the way I laugh at the three stooges. And I couldn't <laughs> believe it, but it was there for them. And my youngest thinks Jar Jar is hysterical. It, it's just kind of crazy. Star Wars serves up different things for different people at different times. Ryan, you mentioned how Star Wars is very much ubiquitous now and, and more accepted. I can certainly say that when I first started teaching, I'd maybe see two or three Star Wars shirts a semester. Now I see two or three Star Wars shirts an hour. And throughout the day, I'll see 40 different shirts or jackets or socks or whatever. And hey, Mr. Zare, did you see this? And all this kind of stuff. You know, students requesting, hey, can we watch the Mandalorian in mythology class? It's, uh, it's certainly something that has captivated us. I mean, I think the box office is showing it. And yes, while it can be divisive on Twitter, that's okay because it's got there's conversation in this in this mm -hmm. cultural zeitgeist that we have. And I think that in and of itself is interesting. Plus, it also teaches you who to mute when they're just being negative. It's okay <laughs> not to like everything. In fact, I think it's more authentic. When you say you're, when you, your no makes your yes weigh a lot more, that makes you a more insightful critic. You know, intellectual honesty uh, is, a, is a positive thing. Critical thinking is a positive thing. So find find your tribe. Find your people that you like talking about this stuff with that can have some perspective and enjoy it for what it actually is a fictional story that encapsulates different mythological tropes that we believe as a culture and as a people. Yeah. And I mean, Dan hit the nail on the head when he talked about 
it reaching so many different people with, with so many different elements of Star Wars. That's the problem. And it's a blessing and the curse with Star Wars is that everybody comes at Star Wars with a personal appeal and a personal experience with it. So you two were a certain age, young and, and strapping in 1999, but I was in junior high. We still high. are, by the way. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I, I'll drop the age jokes by the end of this. Uh, but in I was in junior high when the prequels came out. That was the first trilogy. I, you know, my first movie in the theaters was the special editions in 97, but that trilogy was my first new, it was like, these weren't my dad's movies anymore. And him and I went together, saw all three of those. My favorite Star Wars movie is The Phantom Menace, okay? Uh, and if you have any left, any, any of those Jar Jars left over you bought, Lou or Dan, just send them to me. Um, but I will say that that's what Disney's challenge was in 2012. How do you take a franchise that everybody experienced in a different way and make everyone happy? And the answer is that it's not possible. But in, in Chicago back in April, you came by our booth, Lou, and we had just watched the trailer. And I asked you, I said, does it feel like they're bringing everybody home? Just from that first trailer. And you said, there's something different about this. And you had told me back then, I didn't, I haven't like seven, eight, Rogue One, Solo. None of these things have really tickled my fancy. But yet, in a, just a two-minute teaser, there's something there. And I said, I think, just by that, that the words that J.J. That Abrams spoke at that panel in, in, in Celebration and that teaser we first saw is I think the attempt for this movie at the end of the day is to bring everybody home so if you're like me and the prequel trilogy was your first trilogy then they're trying to bring you home if you're like Lou and Dan and the original trilogy was your first trilogy let's try to bring those home and what we don't say I said this on a la the last show of, of the year for us I said what we don't know about this trilogy is that there are millions of kids around the world who this is their first trilogy in 20 years from now we'll see the effects of what these characters, Ray, Finn, Poe, Kylo Ren, and, and everyone, that, that what they had on a new generation that's walking. You see, you go to Galaxy's Edge, and there's little mini Rays everywhere meeting Chewbacca and Ray, and they get so excited when they see Ray, and even Kylo and the new Stormtroopers. And there's a generation that we haven't seen the effects of yet, and we won't see for almost two decades, when they get a say in what Star Wars means to them. And so what I thought episode nine did, and I guess we'll do some spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it, I would probably run away. Just mild spoilers. But what they did in certain moments was bring everybody home. And you had something for every Star Wars fan in this film, which was nearly impossible. My only complaint about The Rise of Skywalker is I wish it was 30 minutes longer. That's it. So that there could be more of it. But I think that was the task that JJ and the team had was that everyone's coming at this from a million different angles that it's possible to please everyone. But yet somehow I think they made a film that if this is your first Star Wars film you've ever seen, if it's, if you saw Star Wars in 1977, or if you saw the prequels in junior high in 99, like me, there's something in there for everyone. And we'll get to it later, but Disney's, you can tell that their shift went from let's sort of make these nostalgic movies that make the old fans happy to let's put out so many different options that no matter what's your age, what's your interest, or where you live, you can experience Star Wars in a way that makes you happy. But yet somehow we can all share it, whether it's your 85-year-old grandma asking about the, the green baby or Luke, Luke crying in a the theater with his son, sort of reflecting what happened in 1977 when you were sitting with your father. That is the stuff that makes Star Wars important. And if they lean on that, then the future is bright. And I think that's exactly what they're doing. And one of the things I love about 
there's many things I love about J.J. Abrams, but in terms of, of the masterful storytelling, some of the things that, that stuck with me most about Rise of Skywalker were not necessarily the um, the big theatrical moments, right? It was the musical cues that throughout not only helped to tell the story, but brought me back to 1977. The, the few shots near the end where we see uh, different worlds, different species, different planets, and some of those old ships coming up and rising up out of the forest or my little Ewok friends coming together. Like I did, I got choked up because I'm like, oh my God, I had that toy. I played with that toy when I was a kid. And the, the thing that I keep coming back to was... And I'm trying to I'm I'm finding it hard to articulate it. Right. Again, you talked about sort of the, the levels of fandom and bringing everybody together. But I think that this movie hits on so many different emotional levels. Like, again, I had those emotional feelings about thinking from a very personal standpoint of with my dad versus with my son, the emotional thing of this rekindling of my my fandom the same way that I had when it was when I saw episode four. I thought the film was full of so many surprises that I never saw coming that tugged on those heartstrings. Chewbacca's greatest moment for me was not when he was sad, but when he got his medal. Like, I don't know why it's so stupid, right? But as kids, we were like, oh my God, why didn't Chewbacca get his medal? But it it did such a wonderful job of the pulling of the strings from humor to sadness to joy. And look, this is where, you know, people start talking about the ranking of the films. I am perfectly fine saying that for me, this is the best, most enjoyable Star Wars movie after the original trilogy. And maybe I'd even put it over Jedi. Like I haven't, I got to sort of think it out more, but that's how much I loved and was satisfied by this film. And it did something that no other film cartoon holiday special was ever able to do <laughs> or maybe the holiday special was but it rekindled my love of star wars and i think that i am not alone i saw your recap uh from the theater i think you put on instagram among other places and i was very happy because i know that is you desperately wanted to fall in love with the force awakens and the last jedi and it just didn't hit those notes for you and that is more than okay. That's respectful because you are, that's, you know, you're a discerning critic in your own mind too. For me, this movie, I, I, people said to me, what did you think? I said, I was satisfied. I was happy. If I were to rank the rise of Skywalker, I would rank it the least of the sequel trilogy because unlike, unlike you, I think the last Jedi is pretty much perfect except for the Canto bite stuff. I think it's a, a stroke <laughs> of genius. I think it's a literary uh, it's just staggering the literary value in this thing. I would even rank this one somewhere in the reigns of the Phantom Menace and the Attack of the Clones. And there's a lot of reasons why. That doesn't mean I don't really like it. I just I think I just got too much liter- literature nonsense in my head that sometimes it's hard to turn that off, hard to turn that switch off. What I really liked about this movie, anytime that Ray and Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo are on screen, I think is magic. I think... For a character, and again, we are going to spoiler turf. For a character I didn't think should be or could be redeemed, it worked for me beautifully. It was extremely Shakespearean. Uh, his sacrifice, his love, his 
his transition from, you know, thinking outwardly and worrying about what everyone else think and trying to put on some sort of persona defying an inner peace and looking inwardly, which is an interesting juxtaposition of what certain characters do through their arcs. I thought that was great. And uh, at the very end, the last couple of minutes when Ray was on Tatooine is absolute perfection. Mm-hmm. And when I saw the, the, at the premiere, I did something I'd never done before. I was yelling at the screen. Like I was rooting and cheering. Like it was before it started. I looked at my wife and said, I feel like game seven of the world series and the Cubs were in it. I was just so nervous and excited because you're hanging on every word when Harrison shows up. I mean, if that doesn't get you emotionally, if that doesn't get you choked up, I don't know what will because it was Kylo revisiting that key moment in his life and thinking about this is how I wanted to go, but I was afraid. You know, all of Star Wars is about facing your fear to be your best you. And I think that is such a great thing, you know, as parents, um, as an educator, as just people of the world, I think if that's something we can pass on to people, that's why Star Wars is so powerful. And Ray has a yellow lightsaber, and that makes me <laughs> so incredibly happy. I actually yelled out the screen, yellow! And my wife looked at me and she said, what are you doing? Like, she's got a yellow lightsaber. Do you know what? You know why that's important? Luke Skywalker, the original Kenner figure, had a yellow lightsaber, <laughs> right? That's beautiful. It's so great how it just, it comes full circle for us. And you're able to enjoy that on a much deeper level where she's just able to enjoy it, you know, just the film for what it is. And I think you can go into this movie not having seen or been intimately familiar with the characters and the stories and still enjoy this wonderful operatic story of, of good versus evil. You know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. And it's just a wonderful story. Like, Ryan, you even said, I was very, very cautiously optimistic but skeptical skeptical and scared and i expected to go in again being excited but being disappointed and i just had fun like i just enjoyed having fun and came out of the movie and couldn't wait to see it again look i think the greatest testament is i went back again i brought my family my wife and daughter who are not big star wars fans freaked the freak out like my 16 year old daughter understand the context walked out and has been asking me ever since when can we go see star wars again that's words great. that have never come out of her mouth before it's great yeah that's that's the fun part about it experiencing it with your family and having our people in our family who are not huge star wars fans but they're just you know interested in a good story and they have a lot of fun with it and that this movie is great fun there's lots of thrills and chills and you can experience that with your family and want to go back for more and more that's what it's all about you know we keep we keep getting this question because Disney and Lucasfilm and everybody said, this is it. This is it. The end of the episodic star Wars, there'll be star Wars in the future, but it won't be what it was. This to me, what star Wars is, 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 is forming in front of our very own eyes in multiple different facets. But what star Wars was for the last 42 years was buried in that sand and Tatooine. That's what I said about that moment. That was more, that was the most meta moment in Star Wars history to me because I felt like it was J.J. Because this is the very first fans trilogy. George Lucas did not really have anything to do with these three films. And so what I thought was that moment to me was J.J. Abrams taking those two lightsabers, wrapping them up. And to me, that was George Lucas's legacy. That was George Lucas's Star Wars. And he put them in the sand and buried them. And what we saw was Ray looking out. And that was sort of a that was a message to me that the fans are taking what George built and his legacy 
and and buried in that sand. That was a moment that felt like a message to, to George Lucas, or, or it was almost like she was burying Luke. And, as Luke and Leia looked on, and the twin sons were there, they went back to where George made, where George began and buried that in there. So there were moments like that. You know, I, I kept thinking to myself, like Dan, at first I was like, well, I kind of like The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi better. But then I started to think about it. I thought the way they handled Carrie Fisher was beautiful in this film. Uh, way, way beyond my expectations. She, the way that they made her have an impact on her son, even though she wasn't there to film the scenes, I, I just thought the Harrison Ford and and Adam Driver moment was the best in the trilogy for me. There were just so many moments where the highs are the ultimate highs. I've never rooted for Lando Calrissian harder <laughs> than I did in this film. So I just, this is a film that makes you stand up and cheer and we can we can critique it if we want. We can talk about why this and that and that. Or what I chose to do was this film wants you to stand up and cheer. It wants you to feel hopeful and it wants you to watch as George Lucas's legacy is wrapped up safely and buried so that future generations can discover it. And that is what I took out of this. And I still cannot. The more I think about the, the moments that make you pump your fist the more I just do it in the middle of uh, the grocery store when I'm shopping because I can't stop thinking about it. Right. Just enjoy it on its face. Yeah. And hopefully no one's standing by you when you're doing that. Um, no, no. I thought the great thing about the power of the pathos of the Carrie Fisher moments was that if you didn't know better, it would feel very organic. Like she had filmed those scenes or sequences. I thought, I mean, of course it's, it's a tribute to ILM and, and the lighting and all the things that they did, but the fact they're able to get a performance and give you that emotional pull, that tug, it didn't feel like a gimmick. It didn't feel cheap. It was authentic and beautiful. And the fact that we can feel the way that we feel about her death and how it she becomes one of the force because when Ben actually passes away, the fact that we feel that connection is incredible because they don't spend a single second on screen together for the entire trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yet we put those dots together in our brains. That's a testament to very powerful storytelling and us being invested in what's going on i think that's that's pretty remarkable the uh I, I kept on saying that i was so incredibly impressed at how he was able and, and i know i'm we're using jj obviously there's a team but how he was able to bring things full circle and again that that sense of um completion and satisfaction which you know is so very hard to do look i i, I was thinking about uh, uh, look i'm a huge fan of lost right and i i remember the way people reacted to the ending of lost there was a lot of people who were upset about it and here like i was happy with the ending of lost just as i was happy with the ending here because of and i keep sort of coming back to this it, it's the way it made me feel i felt happy i felt uh excited i like you i was you know cheering and clapping and like yelling at the screen which I haven't done, you know, in a long, long time. Um, and I think that's why I, I look, I'm not sitting here dissecting the film and, and does this make sense? Does this feel, no, I just am stepping back and going, you know, I really enjoyed that. I want to go see it again. Uh, and I think that's the greatest compliment that I could give to it is my desire to want to go back and immediately see it in the theater again, as opposed to, oh, I'll wait till it comes out on DVD or streaming and then maybe I'll watch it again. Like even now talking about it, I'm like, you know what? I need to go check. I need to go see it one more time or twice again. In how, the many times have you, how many times have you both seen it so far? 
I've seen it uh, twice so far, and I'm going again uh, probably next week. Cool. I'm at I'm at three right now, which is cool. low for me. Right. Well, I mean, it's hard when you got little ones, you know. But I, it's four for me, and I, I saw basically four times in a week. And now I think I'm I'm going to let it marinate a little bit more. I, I got to see it again at least one more time before it leaves the theater. I so I, we're I was, at, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say. I mean, just the last moment for me that when I mentioned earlier about it had something for every fan. You know, I'm sure Lou, and I think you told me this before. You know, you're not ready to give Hayden Christensen an Oscar, but <laughs> as a as a middle schooler, he was Anakin Skywalker for me. I mean, he was. I had his lightsaber. I had his. I, I think I was him for Halloween. Now that was last year, but in middle school too. And I, when I heard his voice in the voice scene, mm, and yes. Ashley Eckstein's voice is in there, and. There's characters from Rebels where Freddie Prince Jr. as, as Kanan Jarrus was in there. Uh, Mace Windu, Qui-Gon Jinn is, is, is you know, a fan of, of all the animated series and the prequels. That was a nod from J.J. that he didn't have to do or the writers or whoever. They didn't have to do that. But yet, again, I think there was a concerted effort. There's, there's little things you don't even notice in, in the scene where they're in the one who steals the movie, uh, Babu Frick, when they're in his droid shop behind 3PO while they're having this little emotional moment is a battle joy just leaning up against the wall there are moments that you don't even realize but there are nods that I think again this what this film does is when I said brings everybody home it brings everybody home so even if you don't like every part of the movie if you're an original trilogy fan I want you to take note you get Carrie Fisher Billy D. Williams Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill in another movie Uh, and they even gave John Williams a cameo so I mean they they literally took everybody and said, let's go home together and let's bury this mm-hmm. thing in the sand of Tatooine for a final time. And that to me, above all else that we can talk about the movie, whether you're a, this is the first Star Wars movie you ever saw, or, you know, this, you've seen it a hundred times or anything. I think that is the overall message that I took leaving uh, all three times from the rise of Skywalker. Can we announce now, is it safe to say Lou that, to tell everyone that you were actually Babu Frick. That was actually. <laughs> I was the life model for. <laughs> yes. I thought he was in the Ewok costume, which is why you brought that up. But I wasn't going to say. He was Wicked's son. Yes. I'm not really. I'm not really allowed to talk about uh, my role. Fair. In, yeah, the legal. Yeah. yeah. But I think there's a huge. I'm going to call it the rewritability factor to help us sort of transition because there's a there is a, a, a gigantic rewatchability because. The first time you're seeing it, you're just in awe and you're just trying to digest it all. And then you go back and you're able to watch it with a little bit more of a, of a trained eye, looking for things, listening for things. I spent a lot of time like listening, not just to the voices in the background, but the music and just some of the little sounds. Like we know the sounds a little like Imperial, like droid, you know, the do 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 do. But some of the other little sounds that were were callbacks to... Um, again, for me, the original trilogy, but I deliberately used rewritability factor because, again, timing being everything before the rise of Skywalker, we have the rise of the resistance and everything that happened with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And again, I don't we don't want or need this to be a complete you know, discussion again about every part of it. But and now and I almost forgot even Star Tours. So Star Tours now has. I don't even want to call it a new scene. I was able to see it the day that it premiered. And Star Tours is one of those attractions that I don't really ride a lot. If there's a low a low line or if I have friends in town that want to ride, I rode it three times so far with the new scene 
um, from Rise of Skywalker. And I, I'm remiss to call it a new scene because it feels like an entirely new attraction. Because just like the movie, there's a part where just when you think it's over, there's more fun ahead. I don't remember smiling and laughing without the expectation of doing so as when I rewrote Star Tours. But Rise of the Resistance, you know, I see why all good things come to those who wait. Rise of the Resistance was worth waiting for. And I think we, and Ryan, I know we talked about this uh, when we sort of did our, our sort of live review. Rise of the Resistance is a remarkable attraction, not a remarkable Star Wars attraction. It is a remarkable theme park attraction. And I, and I think is in the argument very high of worldwide one of the top three Disney attractions in any theme park around the world. I, I think it's, and again, it's completely subjective, but the way that attraction made me feel was more than how I felt when I got off Flight of Passage, which elicited an emotional response. I know, I'm going through menopause, I cry at everything, <laughs> but when when Flight of Passage in Pandora is over, it's over. And then you sort of walk downstairs and, and it's over. When Rise is over, it's not, because it sort of transitions out into this land and this world. And it really is about not just living, but making up your own Star Wars adventure. And And I think... The timing just worked out so well with Batu and Smuggler's Run and then Resistance and then going right into Rise of Skywalker. I think these are a lot of the things that sort of helped. I, I think each one makes the other one better, if that makes any sense. They they scaffolded an education through always scaffolding. It they just continue to build upon one another in such a unique way. I feel like uh, Galaxy's Edge is my favorite thing about all of Star Wars the entire year, including the Mandalorian, including movies, everything. I think Galaxy's Edge takes me to a different level. And then when you look at Rise of the Resistance, more than anything else I've ever experienced, I've been very blessed to do a lot of cool Star Wars stuff in my life. I felt like I was in a Star Wars movie and not like I was playing pretend, but it just feels like you're authentically a part of the Star Wars story. You're living in the movie, you know, being inside, you know, the Star Destroyer or having the First Order guards stare at you and, and and browbeat you with their arms you know perfectly folded reverse akimbo as they're strolling through the hallway and and once you're done on the attraction itself you know and you and you drop which by the way i do think is a legitimate drop i'm also kind of a wuss <laughs> when it comes to that kind of thing when you walk out you're still on bad too and you're in your living in this experience but rise of resistance did for me is it made me buy in to the plight between the resistance and the first order and love it in a way like I used to love the rebels against the empire. And the, like, I never, the first order of resistance, I was like, that's cool. I get it. That's where we're at. I never felt like it just had me, but emotionally rise of resistance made me appreciate that aspect of the story and love that part of the story. Again, it's a magical thing. And then when you get the galactic star cruiser that's coming out, you know, in the next year, year and a half, my goodness. I mean, we're going to need plastic surgeons to get the smiles <laughs> off our faces. Yeah. You know, I, I, first off, the biggest endorsement to Rise of the Resistance is we went to the media event and I talked to Lou and we were in line and we were, this is, you know, the media event. So it wasn't like a real cue. And I said, man, I'm, I'm so glad we're doing this because, you know, I can't imagine the line or the wait for this. And Lou's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, me too. I'm not going to do it. So 
right, you know, lo and behold, the ride opens, and then I, I log on to Facebook one day, and yet there's a post from Lou Mangiello. He's like, here's my day. Got up at 3.45 a.m., <laughs> and I was like, it, it's so good that it, it, you're willing, even if you've ridden it, to get up at 3, 4, 5 a.m. just to ride it one more time, and that is a true testament to it. And like Dan, you know, we've had The Mandalorian. We've had The Rise of Skywalker. We've had... Uh, Star Wars Celebration. We've had, I mean, this has been a, a big year. We had the opening Galaxy's Edge. The greatest thing I've done, Star Wars this year, is Rise of the Resistance. Yeah. And if you take away the emotion behind seeing the first film with your father or your mother or your family, or if you take away just the emotion aspect of it, the greatest thing you can experience to me as a Star Wars fan is to get on this attraction. And I still, even though I've seen the movie, even though I've seen The Mandalorian now, and there's another season of Clone Wars coming up. It is still the best thing uh, to do as a Star Wars fan is Rise of the Resistance. Second place is probably ordering a Ronto wrap because they're that good. <laughs> but first place easily is Rise of the Resistance for me. It's still the greatest Star Wars thing experience that I've had taking the emotion out of it. Well, just seeing, to me, the best part about Galaxy's Edge is just seeing the Falcon. Because mm -hmm. that's sort of like the hub. I mean, it's literally a hub. And it's also just sort of the anchor for all of this. I mean, that's the one thing that was, I feel like was missing from the prequel trilogy besides the swarminess of Han Solo was seeing the Millennium Falcon. I mean, that is kind of the glue that brings us all together. And it, and it creates this, these incredible feelings um, that are positive as opposed to the incredible feelings you have when you drink the green milk. You know, Lou, in the, <laughs> in the, in the documentary that we made for Star Tours, I asked you, uh, because I wasn't alive at that time. In the 80s, I said, did you, what was it like when the news of Star Wars and Lucas coming together? And you said at that time, it, everyone said, of course, this makes sense. And what Galaxy's Edge and Rise of the Resistance and seeing the Falcon is to me is a realization of two dreams. Not only uh, what we all want as Star Wars fans, which is to go. As soon as you see your very first Star Wars movie, or Star Wars TV show or whatever, however you got into Star Wars, I think almost everyone's first reaction is, I want to go there. I want to experience that. And so that fulfills this dream. And then there was a second dream, and I think it's Walt Disney's dream. When you think of what he wanted to do with Disneyland, I think Galaxy's Edge is the ultimate culmination of that. It's that you go, the outside world doesn't exist. Everywhere you look is a story. You're on stage and you're experiencing the films or the television shows or whatever at the time, you know, the whole, or all the early Disneyland rides where it was putting you in the film and you were the main character, right? Everything that you, that's why you, you know, that's why certain rides were made certain ways, right? You were in Peter Pan, you were in Snow White, you were, you were those things. And to me, Galaxy's Edge is the ultimate realization of two dreams of creating a world that George Lucas created that you, we actually get to go to now. We actually get to walk up to the real Falcon. We get to, go into a room with two adats. We get to do those things. And then I think Walt's dream was, I think that, and I don't know, but if, if you were to take Walt to any of the properties, if I, if I was in charge, if he came back to life and he said, I got one day, take me somewhere. The first place I'm taking him is galaxy's edge. Cause I think he will say exactly what I was thinking in the 1950s. I think you're, <clears throat> excuse me, you're spot on. You know, I think that was the, the driving force behind Fantasyland, right? He wanted to put you in 
the story is in the movies. He wanted you to sort of not be an observer, but be almost the, the protagonist. That's what people didn't get about the original Snow White. They're like, where's Snow White? Why is she not here? It's like, because you were supposed to be Snow White. You were supposed to be living her story. This is an extension of that because it's not another character story. It really is creating it yourself. And you mentioned the Adat and you mentioned the Falcon. The first time I saw the, the, the Falcon, when I went out to the event in Disneyland, I was got I was very surprised at how choked up I got because I'm like I had in my mind been so emotionally distant from the property. I'm like, why am I what why is this salty discharge coming from my eyes? Because I saw the toy that I played with and and imagine you know, I used to take the remember you used to take the top off and you played with all the action figures inside. And then when I rose Rise of the Resistance, I'm I'm giddy, right? I'm having so much fun and I'm with my again, I'm able to sort of watch it with my son going through it and then i went into the adat room and i got that same like lump in my throat why because it brought me back to being you know in 1980 1981 laying on the floor of my basement in plainfield new jersey trying to be sort of having a character eye view. So I'd be playing with my little Luke Skywalker, you know, uh, action figure and the snow speeder crash, trying to look up at my, you know, giant Adat um, toy. That's exactly what that made me feel. And I thought it was just remarkable um, that I'm not sure, I'm sure that's not the emotion that they were going for, but it hit me on that level. And I'm, and I have a question for you because I thought about this afterwards and this is going to be a, relatively large spoiler if you haven't seen rise of uh, skywalkers yet i i thought back in hindsight when you are in the detention cell in rise of the resistance did general hux help you escape mm. hmm. i have thought about that i've heard that <laughs> i've heard that because spoiler you know hux uh you know as poe said <laughs> you know what uh he uh he helps the resistance and in this one you know not to spoil the ride too much because i'm sure more people have seen rise of skywalker than ride uh rise of resistance but the storyline is that you're captured by the first order yet things start to click into place where you somehow escape relatively unscathed so the question is how is that possible uh according this is get this is getting real nerdy here guys but according to <laughs> well the, the visual guides and, and the things that that have come out around the movie, uh, it was, it's been confirmed that Batu, when you go to Galaxy's Edge, takes place six months before the Rise of Skywalker. So it's six months after The Last Jedi and six months before The Rise of Skywalker. So it's smack dab right in the middle between the two films. So it does kind of line up when you start to think mm. about it. Um, just something yeah. to think about, yeah. So maybe the twinkle in Ryan's eye is what moved Hux to start to change his heart. <laughs> Uh, I do have that effect that has been known to happen. It's true. You know, it. whatever it is, um, again, this too, it hits, it, it hit on every note, <clears throat> excuse me, for me. And I've been on it with people who are not huge Star Wars fans. And I, and I find myself watching their reactions as much as I was watching the attraction to see how they were responding to it and to see their mouths agape at certain scenes. There was a lot of things that are very unexpected there. It's an, it's a, an incredibly complex attraction. So if it goes down, be understanding, be patient um, because the, the complexity, but when you're in 
that final room, and I don't want to spoil it, but when you're in that final room with Kylo and there's very much a 4D type effect that takes place, I'm just like, oh, my, like this, was, that was just, I mean, I was. I was smiling ear to ear because I didn't see or or feel that coming, um, and I couldn't wait to ride again. And we'll talk more about this as we start to you know, bring all these things together. But the way it made me feel in terms of what I wanted to do next, it wasn't just go eat. I wanted to, I wanted to do more. I wanted to to bring it home with me. Um, and I think that's the the, the sign of um, uh, a very well done attraction, not just in terms of the experience, but again how it makes you feel. And we started to to briefly mention. I mean, think think this is the great way to transition into the Mandalorian because you talk about where it takes place in terms of being after Jedi and, and the fall of the empire, but before force awakens and the whole rise of the first order, you know, this again, not knowing what to expect other than having faith in John Favreau, who also I love, I loved him when he was in Rudy, who's the wild man now, but yeah. this too, you don't have to know and love any of the films to enjoy it. Right. I, I sometimes when I watch, and I've watched the first episode three times. I've watched the last episode three times. Um, I love how it ties into the films. It ties into Clone Wars. You don't have to know anything, but it might help. There's so there's amazing Easter eggs in there. The Life Day robes, that's all I'm going to say. Um, the score is such an incredible storytelling. I mean, but what I liked about this is when I talk about the feel it feels like Star Wars to me, right? I, I keep talking about episode four being dirty and gritty, and this is new but familiar. And it made me sort of think back in terms of the look and feel to episode four. Like it felt like Star Wars, yet there's not one lightsaber battle in the entire show, right? But, and I also, in terms of the, the storytelling itself, I like how each episode is an individual story, but it's sort of weaved into um, a, a grander tale. And it made me think back to, uh, I used to love the X-Files, right? I still kind of love the X-Files, right? And each episode sort of stood on its own, but it really was about this overarching story of uh, Mulder and, and Scully and that all these things eventually tie together and I loved also with Mandalorian, I think we're sort of seeing these stories from an entirely new perspective, as it were. Um, and I think the thing that amazed me most is, and I know you guys are, are much deeper in this than I am, but from what I sort of the, the pulse that I sort of feel is there's overall positive reviews for this. I don't you don't. You never see that, right? You always. There's not a lot of negativity that's being around, uh, that's surrounding the Mandalorian. But, but Dan and Ryan, your thoughts? No, I agree. One thing that the Mandalorian seems to be doing is seems to be a great balm for fandom because everyone seems to love it, uh, and very, very passionately and very, very strongly. And what I think that the Mandalorian does when Star Wars is at its best, it takes those things that are deeply a part of it, the nostalgia the characters, the very clear distinction of good and evil and creates a story that captivates us because of the compelling characters. And we want to see where the mythology will take them and where they're going to go. 
what the Mandalorian does is it takes those ideas and those archetypes and they put it into a Western kind of cinematic lens. They had that incredible score that's some of the best Star Wars music I think I've ever heard. And then it makes it feel original and fresh, but still familiar. You know, when Luke says, there's something familiar about this place and the Empire Strikes Back before he meets Yoda for the first time. That's that feeling that I have when I watch The Mandalorian. And it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like a gimmick either. It just feels like this is a new direction to take it. And I think Star Wars is really at its best when it reinvents itself uh, by trying new things but also giving us that familiar stuff that we like. Because The Mandalorian, when I first heard about The Mandalorian and the content of it, I was extremely underwhelmed. And I thought, I don't really want to see that kind of Star Wars. I don't feel like it's not going to give me hope. It's not going to give me optimism. It's going to be very cynical, and he's going to be just this violent gunslinger that doesn't speak. Turns out he's got more heart than a lot of characters in Star Wars or a lot of a lot of politicians. He's just he's really cares and he, high, he, does, he does it in different ways. And the fact that Pedro Pascal can make us feel these emotions when he pretty much never takes off that helmet, but you know what he's feeling by his posture, by the way he tilts his head, by the way he carries himself and his shoulders, I think that's amazing. I think, I think Pedro Pascal's performance, the way he's selling us on this mm-hmm. character, and of course the child is a big deal, and it's kind of become a thing unto itself that's almost transcended Star Wars in many ways. I just think that's great. The fact that we care so much about these characters that are pretty much we've known for five minutes. I think that's great. And and I think another master stroke that Disney Plus did was they took a different route with the streaming and they did it weekly. Because now instead of this this white hot moment of a streaming service that uh, of an eps of a series that drops within a week and a half, everybody's over it. This has kept the conversation going for two months, two and a half months and kept it fresh in our minds. I think that's when it's going to make it stand the test of time. That's uh, that's why I loved Lost, right? Because part of what I loved about Lost is when that end title card came up, I would stand up and scream at my TV like, oh my God, you can't. And then we would talk about it and we would think about it. And then we would start that anticipation for the next week and and sort of recap in our minds what went on. That's what we're doing with Mandalorian. That, that, um, that, that, thirst that we have for the next episode makes it taste even better i think what the mandalorian does is is two things it it carries disney plus in a way that i don't think anybody saw coming because you saw that big catalog dump that disney plus did leading up to the release and you're like this thing is loaded yet i've really only heard about the mandalorian and then what you hear is oh this is also great and this is also great so it's kind of Nice to get some other stuff to get some shine now that the Mandalorian has stopped, but to not spoil it because this, you know, this is everyone's probably in a different spot. You know, Baby Yoda, I'm going to call him Baby Yoda. I don't know who's in charge, Bob Iger, whoever, get over it. I, I'm going to call it Baby Yoda, but Baby Yoda has taken the entire world by storm, whether you've even seen the show or not. And that's very important because, like I said, that, that has been the most mainstream Star Wars thing I've ever seen in my lifetime. But quietly, behind baby Yoda, everything else happening in the show is amazing character development, a story that you are captivated by. And in the season finale, what felt so great about it was there were so many payoffs from things that were building through all eight episodes. And so you kind of realize at the end of it, yeah, baby Yoda has taken the world by storm. It's taken me by storm. I I love baby Yoda. I'm literally holding a pair of baby Yoda socks up to the camera in my head. (laughs) (laughs) 
exactly right people are just so desperate i think they could put out baby yoda coffee beans and people would buy it whether you drink coffee or not just give me something baby yoda i i think there's a story behind it that is really well done and thought out and there's payoff throughout the season and now you can't wait for season two with what they left you off on season one and what i've said about the mandalorian because look Again, everywhere I turn, I, I'm a member, and this is a plug, Lou. You can take this as a plug. I'm a member of the Box People group for your show. And a lot of times it's Disney, 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 Disney World, Disney World, Disney World Post. And I love seeing it. But lately, it's been Baby Yoda, Mandalorian. Did you see this? Mandalorian, Mandalorian in a Disney World-specific group. It's Mandalorian, Mandalorian. It's everywhere you look, it's Mandalorian. And a lot of it's because Baby Yoda. But I think if it was just Baby Yoda then that would be a gimmick, but it's not a gimmick. There's a story behind Baby Yoda. There's a story behind The Mandalorian. There's a story behind every person we've seen in the show. And every question I keep getting is, okay, well, I keep hearing these connections to Clone Wars and Rebels. Should I watch? Just watch it. No matter whether you've seen a second of Star Wars before, watch this show. And what's great about for Star Wars and for Disney is now Disney Plus is right there. You see connections to Clone Wars or Rebels you can pull up and just start streaming. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to start coming to the larger Star Wars universe because of this show specifically. So if Baby Yoda has done anything, it has created another set of lifelong Star Wars fans that were brought in by a little green alien that is on loose socks right now. So I, <laughs> I just think it's, it's been brilliant on so many different levels. And I think that what you're seeing is also is John Favreau and Dave Filoni who is in charge of the animated series, and now he's got his live-action debut, and he's John Favreau's partner on this, are probably going to be who you see in charge of making Star Wars in the future because they are able to show that they can bring in all fans, respect all fans and where they come from, bring in the mainstream, and get people interested in other content that's out there. So to me, I think it's a master... This is the best rollout of a streaming series that I have personally ever seen because... Things like Stranger Things and other things get dumped in one night. You, no one really talks about them. They're there. Everybody streams it the one night they can, and you don't talk about it again. Dan nailed it right on the head. Every single week, it's what's Baby Yoda going to do next? And even if Baby Yoda's not much in the episode, you're amazed by the character development between a guy that never takes off his mask and folks that are coming in and out every other week. Uh, you guys uh, hit hit it on, on a number of different levels. I, I agree with you about the performance of a character of an actor whose face you do not see who cannot emote other than the way he makes subtle movements you we i have an affinity for this character because of this this paternal role he was thrust into and the way he cares for this child i I cannot say enough good things again acknowledging that it's a team but but the storytelling of John Favreau, um, you know, look, you know, Iron Man, Elf, Couples Retreat, and now The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think they did, and, and if it was his call or whosoever, to, yes, while we lost out on, on, and Disney lost out on millions of dollars on Baby Yoda, the child merchandise sales this holiday season, it was brilliant to have... Look, one of the things about the Mandalorian are the elements of real surprise. Baby Yoda at the end of episode one was a huge surprise. They lost out on the the dollars on the front end, but it's a much bigger win overall at the end because it wasn't spoiled for us. It was it was something that literally nobody saw coming. And I think the thing about the Mandalorian that for me 
captured me very quickly was that I found that I was caring about these characters. And it's something that I really did not do after the original trilogy. Um, Jake Lloyd, I know you were a kid, Hayden Christensen, whatever. But (laughs) I mean, look, even Rogue One, I know a lot of people like Rogue One and I, while I like the guy with the bow staff, I couldn't tell you what his name is. Chirrut. Chirrut Inway. That guy. Yeah. That's that's telling, right? The fact that I don't know who it is because, again, spoiler alert, because that's the end of their story because it's the end of their life. I care about these. Um, I care about these characters, um, even though I might not know who they are. Even at the end of episode eight, I very much care about what happens with that dark figure and the thing that he's holding in his in his hand that my son knew about. Like yeah. as we were watching, all of a sudden he's telling me, and I was almost not listening because I was just in amazement, like that he had gone off on his own to find out about this and read about this and watch some of the other things. And I was like, you're in too. Like you're back into, and I'll talk more about this at the end, but how sort of we're all, we're, we're brought back into this Star Wars universe. And Ryan, I think you hit it right in the head. I, I think, I don't think we've seen a time like this since the original Star Wars came out where it transcends the hardcore fandom and the moviegoers and it into the state of general pop culture excitement and phenomenon. I mean, Baby Yoda's more than a meme, although, Ryan, like you said, uh, um, Dan, like you said, when you open up Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram, chances are you're going to see Baby Yoda in some drinking coffee or something in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's absolutely true. And then again, the fact that people who are not Star Wars fans are talking about the child uh, very, very commonplace and very, very enthusiastically, I think is is a testament to the storytelling. And, you know, I feel like it's fair to say that that with Solo and things like that, that, that Disney and Lucasfilm took kind of a hit uh, through some channels uh, marketing wise. And maybe that's fair. Maybe does. I'm certainly not a marketing genius. What I do know is that the way they've handled the Mandalorian and promoted it and promoted Disney plus, I think we're seeing how effective that is. And when you combine that with good storytelling, a good cast, a good score, people are going to remember something like this. And star Wars is something that we remember. Yes, there is nostalgia there, but the nostalgia, again, I keep saying this, but it's not done as a gimmick. It's done because that's an authentic part of the of the 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 rewritability of this experience. Yeah, I think overall, and I guess we we'll, we'll, I know we'll get to the overall element of it is it's just for the first time as a hardcore Star Wars fan since I was really three, four years old, this thing has captivated me all the way up till till now. It's something I'm my kids are young, but it's something I'm starting to indoctrinate them with. Uh, if you want to call it that, um, I'm, I'm, I tell my wife, I'm naturally letting them come to it. They'll like it if they want to, they're going to like it. But I, I just think there's never been the Mandalorian, I think is probably the number one thing. Cause not everybody can get to Walt Disney world. Not everybody is interested in sitting in a two and a half hour movie for something they're only casually interested in. That's why they have Disney plus or, uh, you know, they'll rent it or whatever, you know, but for the Mandalorian, a ton of people have Disney plus and, it's something I can talk to my coworkers and my family who's only mildly interested in. It's something that it brings us all together even more than the other things we've mentioned for this year. 
and I think even more than 1977. You know, I mean, the original Star Wars is a true piece of art and masterpiece. But when you watch it, if if I was an eight year old and I watched it for the first time, I might ask, why are you know those are clearly 70s effects, right? There are there are things where for this, it's all ages, it's all interests, it's got the cute and the funny factor, it's got the serious, it's got the development factor, it's got payoffs. It's this is another series where there's multiple times where in this last chapter it makes you kind of angry for a second, but you're also standing up and cheering. So I just think that they could not have entered the streaming wars that Disney has entered with a better hand and a better strategy than what we've seen. And I love the Mandalorian because it's incredibly interesting and it's got so much for, for hardcore and non-hardcore fans, but the element that everyone around the water cooler in 2019, 2020, whatever year we're in now, you know, there isn't a lot of water cooler talk anymore because everybody's watching something different or they're watching a different thing about the, on the news. They're they're Everyone's living so many separate lives because we have more than three channels. But now, for the first time in a long time, I think The Mandalorian has transcended Star Wars and transcended fandom. And it's something people talk about around the water cooler now. And that is something that it's beautiful that Star Wars and Disney got to do it together. And that's why in 2012, when they purchased Lucasfilm, this is the perfect marriage because it's got something that people care about. Two, two different companies that people care deeply about. When they come together, they create experiences that everyone can enjoy. And The Mandalorian, to me, is a perfect example of that where the entire world, well, unless you don't have Disney+, Plus, but in, at least the entire USA are coming together around the water cooler and talking about a little green puppet. And, and I agree, and I want to believe um, that this was all part of a master plan and a master strategy in terms of timing, in terms of pricing. Look, when, when I think we all heard the pricing of Disney Plus being six ninety nine a month, we're like, didn't you forget a one in front of there? Nobody expected it to be the literally the price of a cup of coffee. But to your point, Ryan, I was at a friend's house uh, for New Year's Eve, and there was, you know, a, b- a bunch of people talking. As I was walking around the room, and by walking around the room, I mean going to get food from different parts of, of the kitchen, there were three separate <laughs> conversations going on, each one talking about the Mandalorian. There was a bunch of guys off in the corner nerding out about, you know, George Lucas and and wishing they could see the treatments of, of what his original final trilogy would have looked like and what the Mandalorian means and what's next. There was another group talking about Baby Yoda and merchandise, and there was a group of kids that were playing with their Oculus, and then there was conversations I heard going on about whether or not they're going to make, how are they going to make a black saber crystal to sell at Doc Ondra's Den of Antiquities next time they go back to Galaxy's Edge. And I sort of just stood there in the middle of this triad, and I was fascinated. I'm like, when else would this be the topic of conversation in every sort of little pod of, of people at a New Year's Eve party? And I just thought that was, you know, you talked about sort of entering beyond just a, a pop culture and a nerd reference to sort of the, the zeitgeist. I mean, that's really what these all have done, right? It, it's gotten us excited about Star Wars again. Uh, I think for a lot of people, Rise of Skywalker, for lack of a better term, it fixes Star Wars and and maybe some of the mistakes that they felt were made along the way it did for me it brought yeah. me back in um you know I, I i and i keep going back to feel i like i i 
I, I felt happy. I felt love for the characters. I feel sympathy. IG-11. Like, I feel bad for poor IG-11. Like, <laughs> I feel the story of love and family, which is really what Star Wars is all about, right? It's all about stories of, of families and, and, you know, Mando the dad. And, and to me, it feels like all these things feels like feel like, and I don't know him, obviously, but I almost sort of feel like these would be things that George Lucas would do or at least like, um, and maybe it's something that, you know, that I sort of hope is that he looks at it and says, you know, he'd be happy and satisfied with it. The same way we look at Walt and say, I think Walt would like this. Um, but I'm telling you, I have much like I think my dad did with me, like it's become uh, a, a something to continue to bond with my son over. Right. He came out and he wants to go back to Galaxy's Edge. He wants to get a new lightsaber. He wants to build a droid. These are all things that he did not want to do originally. But Mandalorian and Skywalker and Resistance and Star Tours, all these things coming together. Again, it's sort of that that perfect intersection of all three. Now, mind you, it's now because of this going to cost me a lot more money because I have to go buy an Oculus Quest and Vader Immortal and, you know, I, Santa <laughs> Claus brought him a um, a um, uh, a legacy saber um, and he's going to go build a droid um, in a couple of days. But um, I, I'm su- that, that makes me really happy. Experiencing Star Wars with your kids, uh, your family, of course, but with your kids, it's great because like you, you talked about before, you remember seeing it with your parents and then you're passing it on, you know, like, like Luke and Yoda talk about in the last Jedi where, you know, we about passing on what you have learned and, and, and sharing those moments and those experiences. And, and because of the, the brilliance of, of Star Wars merchandising, I'm proud of you. You haven't said the flamethrower yet. Every time we say the word <laughs> merchandising, we, I think it's cool that you can build a lightsaber, that you can build a droid, that you can, wear a t-shirt that says the Mandalorian or, or have the child's socks or, and it's just an accepted part of culture that people don't even bat an eye because this is a great thing that brings people together. Your story about that, about New, it was New Year's day, right? That walking around experiencing that is so cool because a good fiction, a, a good piece of culture brings people together to, to have conversation, to have experiences together and stuff that lasts uh, the test of time. That's what Star Wars continues to do. It reinvents itself. George was great about that. Now Iger and Kathleen Kennedy and, and the, the team of Lucasfilm are doing that as well. John Favreau and Dave Filoni certainly are, are instrumental in that success. But it creates this environment and this culture where you know people from who would have not necessarily talked to or seen each other, but Star Wars brought the three of us together. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of friends and family because of Star Wars, because of Disney, and they become authentic friendships, not because of a lightsaber, because they bring up those ideas and those motifs and those fundamental things that we respond to that makes a good story so powerful. You know, ever since, you know, 2000 plus years ago, uh, when the first bards told the story of Odysseus or Beowulf, there are certain cultural things that are inherent in these stories that teach us about what we value and what we care about. And I just think it's great that Star Wars does that for us now. You know, and, and this isn't something a lot of people that maybe aren't like Dan. Dan and I would know this, but back in 2012, before the Disney purchase, this franchise was 
pretty close to being dead. The two things that Star Wars Celebration was excited about in 2012 was Angry Birds Star Wars <laughs> and a cartoon called Star Wars Detours that they haven't even released because it was essentially family guy spoofs too. Family, yeah, family. I mean, this is what we're talking about. Like we've talked about a billion dollar theatrical release this year, a television show that's the biggest of all time, a theme park. Or, in 2012, this conversation would have been like, did you see Angry Birds Star Wars 2? Robot Chicken. Remember Robot Chicken? Robot, robot Chicken. Yes, yes. <laughs> Ro- robot. I mean, this is... So in 2012, you can say what you want about Disney uh, owning Marvel and Lucasfilm, and, and you can say whether you think it was a good idea for Star Wars to, to sell out to the corporate overlords, whatever you feel like. But here's the thing. Without that purchase, this conversation that's happened tonight and is happening at New Year's Eve parties... And the lightsabers that are being built and the droids and, the, and the, like I said earlier, this generation of millions upon millions of kids who this trilogy will carry them and they'll take their kids to see whatever Star Wars is 20 years from now. That doesn't happen without that purchase of Lucasfilm in 2012. And what as we I, I like to call this the first phase that we're ending right now. The trilogy is over. The spinoff movies are, are over. The first live action series, the first season has come and we've seen what that looks like. Both theme parks are open and coming in a couple of weeks, they're going to be completed with, with Rise of the Resistance. So the first phase is kind of ended. And yet I have never felt better about a franchise because there's never been more ways to be a Star Wars fan. If you see The Mandalorian and you love it, you can then, it's like getting off an attraction and you're going into a gift shop and the gift shop is, well, there's The Mandalorian over here and there's Clone Wars and Rebels I can watch on Disney Plus here. And there's a nine movies over here and there's spinoff movies here and there's a theme park over here and 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 that is the best thing that could have ever happened to this franchise. And whether you've seen Star Wars once, if you're listening to this because you love Lou and you never even watched Star Wars, look at all the choices you have to experience. And that is, to me, I said in the last show of, of, the, of the year for us, I said, we live, for some reason, we got to live in the time where it's the best time to be a Star Wars fan. Let's not waste that. And some of the memories, I mean, the testament of things is, you know, for Galaxy's Edge, we did a broadcast night for our show where me and four friends went and we did a bunch of Facebook Live broadcasts from Galaxy's Edge. And my wife went and she hates Star Wars. And she loved going that night at Galaxy's Edge. It's a night we still talk about. There were six of us that rode Smuggler's Run. It was the perfect uh, group. You, oh, if yeah. you have six, it is the perfect way to experience that attraction. We went to Oga's. We've been to Oga's twice now with my wife. She would never be caught dead in a Star Wars bar, but she wanted to go back because it was, it was an atmospheric thing. There are, you know, my kids love the Mandalorian because of Baby Yoda. My kids are three and two. They ask me all the time, can we watch the baby spaceship show? And I said, we can definitely watch the baby spaceship show. And guess what? My wife who's a Game of Thrones, Thrones fan, loves Pedro Pascal, watched all eight chapters. This is something that would not have happened in 2012. And now, fast forward through the first phase, here we are. It is the best possible thing that could have happened to this franchise. And some of my greatest memories of Star Wars have happened in the last seven years. Having lunch with Lou Mangello at Docking Bay 7, riding Rise of the Resistance. Lou, every time we see each other from now on, I think we'll always remember the time a First Order officer got in your face (laughs) when you had the audacity to ask if we could sit in the blue section. That's something I won't forget because it was like, I can't. I'm. I feel like I'm in a Star Wars movie, not because I was in a Star Destroyer hangar, but because somebody I know is getting accosted by the First Order. That is, to me, if you're a Star Wars fan, if you're a casual fan, if you've only watched a few things, if you're only a Mandalorian fan, only a Galaxy's Edge fan, no matter what, there's so many different ways to be a Star Wars fan in 3D, 4D, on the small screen, on the big screen. You mentioned VR is something they're focusing on and going to 
keep and double down on in the future. You walk around New Year's Eve and Star Wars is something that's bringing people of all ages together, which is what it's supposed to do at the end of the day. And so to me, I, there's never been a better time to be a Star Wars fan. And there's never been a better time to share it with your friends, your family. And if it's something that can bring everybody together in 2020, which seems impossible, then I think I will always applaud George Lucas and Bob Iger for shaking hands in 2012, because look what it's done to the franchise, to us, to fans. It's been the best thing that could have ever happened to it. Looking back seven years in. Well, first things first, I'm going to get us matching T-shirts that say we'll always have Batu, and we can wear them next time, next time we go to Black Spire Outpost together. Um, but you're right. And what we're talking about this this <laughs> this idea that it's the best time to be a Star Wars fan. That is that's sort of the result of everything that has come before. But what happens next? Right. What does the future hold? I think, you know, this excitement is not just, wow, look at sort of where we are. Look at what we have. I like looking forward and looking to see what's next. And and I'm just going to quickly sort of gloss over what's coming because there's and guys, correct me, because obviously this is this is your there's three more movies scheduled between 2022 and 2026. Correct. Right. Those are the ones that were That's supposed right. to be. They were supposed mm-hmm. to be the Game of Thrones guys, but those are it's not going to be them. Right. Does Ryan Johnson, does he have his own trilogy come up or is it this going to be the same trilogy? We no one knows. Okay. No, no one has come and said no. Ryan Johnson still has some Star Wars stuff that he's working on. He said that he's excited about it. I know that Lucasfilm loves Ryan Johnson, loves working with him. I know what kind of guy he is. So, but we don't know. Like, is he going to take one of them and not someone else going to do another one? Are they going to do like just three stories in a row? Are they going to jump around like they did with the Star Wars spinoff series movies? No one knows. No one has said. I will say. It seems to have kind of gotten under the radar, but on the blue carpet, when Kathleen Kennedy was interviewed before, they said to her, you know, we've kind of, she's, they asked her about this being the last film in the Skywalker saga. And she did say, I heard, I watched her say it with my own eyes. Look, we've kind of softened our stance a little bit on that. This is the last story of the Skywalker (laughs) saga for now. And there's a moment near the end of, right. There's a moment near the end of Skywalker that you wonder, is it a red herring or is it deliberately setting up like, oh, Let's go tell right. this story. Um, you know, is exactly. that going to happen? Is this? Is there going to be the Obi Wan spinoff on Disney Plus? Is going to be a Rogue One prequel? The thing out of all this that excites me most, right? We're talking about how this is now is the time. Now is the best time. I say there's a great big beautiful tomorrow, and it's because mm-hmm. of two words, and it's Kevin Feige, right? Kevin Feige yeah. has been brought on to really help literally and figuratively direct the future of star wars right and you know we know about what kevin has done for marvel and if you think kevin's a marvel fan talk to him about star wars um you know you wonder what his vision for the future is what his role is going to be for the future you know what is going to be his role potentially working within lucasfilm um, you know, in addition to or maybe instead of working with Marvel. But when you hear that um, the 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 gauntlet is going, not the Infinity one, but the Star Wars one is sort of being handed over to Kevin Feige, my heart gets all a flutter because of what he's done for Marvel Studios. 
Right. Well, the fact that, I mean, he's such a powerhouse. I, I was very excited that at D23, I got to be there when you and Becky got to speak with him. And I know you talked to him before, but this is the kind of guy that is very unassuming, but a great storyteller. He's able to to mastermind and maximize potential of characters. You know, Iron Man, what people seem to forget is that before, you know, John Favreau uh, came along and Robert Downey Jr., uh, Iron Man was like a very much a C-list character. He was, it really wasn't much, but he became a household phenomenon because of the vision of these three men that I just talked about. And Feige, you know, they said that Feige's going to do at least one Star Wars film. I mean, he's got even less free time than the three of us. So I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to write in on a white bantha and save the day or not, but (laughs) it sure is great knowing that he is going to be a part of this. And I, I mean, I'm thrilled. I'm absolutely thrilled about that. Anytime you can get somebody who's a talented storyteller or good at what they do in the world of cinema and movie making, then you've got something great. And because Star Wars is such a beautiful sandbox to work in and with all these incredible characters, although I wish they'd stop creating new planets. It's almost impossible to keep track of all the planets now. How many sand planets do we need? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) no kidding. And plus it's coarse and it gets everywhere too. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think it's great. I think it's exciting. I like one of my favorite things about anything is is not knowing just that anticipation, that thrill of knowing there is more Star Wars coming. I'm glad we have a three year window between films. I'm thrilled about that because it lets it breathe. And the exciting thing about Star Wars is that when the original trilogy came out and the prequel trilogy, we had to wait three years between these movies and it just builds that excitement and that hype. And you just keep it going. You get to be a kid all over again. And I think that's masterful. I think bringing Kevin Feige in is smart because I think what we we know what Star Wars was and that for now has ended. We have to figure out what Star Wars will be. And what we know works is the theme parks work. Galaxy's Edge, Rise of Resistance. uh, I mean, I think the possibilities are endless. I mean, we haven't even got to the Galactic Star Cruiser. That is going to be a literal cruise instead of a Disney cruise. You're taking a Star Wars cruise. Uh, there are things that we know work. Mandalorian proves that live action streaming shows work. Obi-Wan Kenobi with Ewan McGregor back is going to work. I think Cassian Andor Rogue One series with Diego Luna and Alan Tudyk is going to work. Those things work. The question is, what does Star Wars look like on the big screen without the blaring John Williams music, the crawl, what does it look like? And there's been mixed results for a lot of people with Rogue One and Solo. So I think the question for Kathleen Kennedy, president of Lucasfilm, Alan Horn, Bob Iger, all of the people that are making these decisions, what is Star Wars going to look like on the big screen without the episode and the crawl and the things that we know? And what, who, who better to bring on than someone like Kevin Feige? Because those same questions had to have been had before even before Disney bought Marvel, what does a Marvel Cinematic Universe look like? And the two men who helped usher that in are Kevin Feige and John Favreau. They now have Star Wars shirts on because they're now helping make future Star Wars. So we don't know what Star Wars is going to be. You know, creators have come in and out because I think that question of what is Star Wars on the big screen without the episodes is a question that I don't know if anybody has the answer to. But if you put Kathleen Kennedy, John Favreau, Kevin Feige and even J.J. Abrams in a room together, then whatever's coming out of that room, I'll, I'll buy 10. So that is a question for the franchise and for Disney. But in the meantime, like Dan said, we've got three years. You know, 
I'm about to get up tomorrow. I feel like I should and get up at 4 a.m. to go ride Rise of the Resistance. And I cannot, I just try to Ronto wrap the breakfast ones even better than the regular <laughs> one. So look, I don't know what Star Wars is on the big screen in 2022, 2024, 2026. I know Kevin Feige. I know John Favreau both have their hands in the cookie jar now. And I think that's the best move they could have made because you have somebody who says, well, look, it's hard to make 20 movies that very, very, very few people have problems with. So let's see what he can do over here. And I think that's a genius move on everyone's part to bring people like John Favreau and Kevin Feige in as the, the franchise for the first time has to look and say, what happens when we don't have an episode movie coming out? And that I cannot think of anybody better than Kevin Feige. It's, it's scary. I'm glad I'm not in charge. I think it's a much hard, tougher task. Look, when you when you're starting something new like the MCU, there's no expectation, right? We don't know that we're starting something from from ground zero. When you take something that is so ingrained in generations and it's just a part of our lives, and now you have to do something new, it's it's you're right. It's a very scary, almost unenviable position because no matter what you do, there's going to be a large vocal group that is not going to like it and you're going to start seeing not my star wars because it's not and it's got to be something very new and and i think the timing of what comes next um is going to be interesting because i think you sort of have to let this sort of this 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 book and not just a chapter but the book on these stories and the way they're being told close and then start something new um and i'm sure it's an exciting and both scary time for Feige and Favreau but you're right when you start putting those names you put Feige Favreau and and Abrams together and that's you know that's a pretty amazing um trilogy right there but you mentioned too the 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 Galactic Star Cruiser and you you talked about Walt and sort of living your adventure that's I mean I'm incredibly excited this is such a brilliant idea this idea of taking sort of the cruise mentality and putting it into a hotel at land where you go on these two night, three day itineraries. Everybody arrives and departs at the same time uh, aboard this Halcyon star cruiser. But, you know, Batu is sort of a, this idea of, of creating your own star Wars story. I mean, this really is the idea for you to be the hero of your own star Wars adventure in a type of immersive experience that we haven't seen elsewhere. Um, I, I think this is such a remarkably smart idea because you are not just walking through, riding through, watching a story that's being told, but you are creating a personal adventure with the activities you participate in, the characters you interact with, the other passengers that you meet, Um in the different locations, right? There's the Galactic Star Cruiser Terminal. You enter this launch pod. You um, you you get, there's going to be lightsaber experiences, which, you know, sign me up right now. Yeah. You can visit the bridge. I mean, and, and I, I don't want to spoil a lot, but when this was announced, I just sort of shook my head in like, in awe of how smart this is. And we don't know what the price points are going to be. We can speculate all we want, but it's probably not going to matter because, you know, this is the thing. This is the kind of experience that Star Wars fans have been looking forward to. And as I drive by where it's being built, the idea of walking through that portal 
and not seeing the outside world again because your rooms don't have windows, they have screens, and everything is deliberate and intentional and immersive. In sort of this was this goes back to an early idea that they had for the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror that you'd be picked up at the airport in this old woody station wagon with these velvet curtains. And as soon as you got in, that's when your adventure started. That's what's going to happen here when you get into the Portico Share. You've got this incredible Star Wars. Adv- I mean, just imagine getting in there, not just being able to go and get a Ronto wrap and build a lightsaber, but you're wearing your Jedi robes and everybody in there is completely in character. Um, again, like of all the things that are coming up, this is the thing that I think is so different, so unique, and so exciting. Another example of how Star Wars continues to reinvent itself and use the nostalgia factor, but but bring in new things to incorporate so that we can make this an experience. You know, when you first see Star Wars, you mentioned with your dad seeing this, the Star Destroyer. That's that's an experience. That's not watching something on a on a movie screen. That's an experience. And I, I think besides the announcement of Galaxy's Edge, which I legitimately wept when I, I remember when that was announced at D23 years ago, I legitimately wept at that because I thought, oh, my gosh, because it's the theme parks and Star Wars. Oh, my gosh. And, and nobody saw this, it coming. Nobody knew. No, there was exactly. no rumors of that happening. No, it was just something that was something you would you dare to dream about, but you never actually saw it come to fruition. And then it does. Then you find out you're going to get to experience it like you're completely immersed in it. And then it's like it's supposed to happen. And this takes celebration to a whole other level, because even in celebration, you still got the outside world and other things going on. This does encapsulate what Walt wanted. He wanted you. You know, that's why he bought all that land in, in Florida, because he wanted you when you're inside the park. He wanted you to forget about the outside world when you're in the house and you're going to forget about the outside world. And you're going to be, you know, you're having to actually use a lightsaber legitimately um, wearing your Jedi robes where it's actually socially acceptable uh, for those three days. It's just, I can't even believe that we're talking about it. But yeah, there's like that, that the little boy inside of me is just like, well, of course this is going to happen. You love this stuff. You've been patient. You know, good things happen when you believe in the impossible. And what more would Walt Disney say than that? I mean, that's one of his most his powerful aphorisms you know it's kind of fun to do the impossible and what what disney and the imagineers are doing with the halcyon and the galactic star cruiser i mean and i've heard people say you know i don't know what the price is gonna be but it's gonna be too expensive for me well save your money you know get one less starbucks cup of coffee a week and just start putting that money aside because this is gonna be worth it like maybe nothing ever has before and i like that it's gonna be small and intimate enough you can really experience it um with your loved ones and meet new people, meet new friends. Imagine how many people you're going to meet in the Halcyon that you never would have met otherwise who love Star Wars and you get to live that adventure. And it's just going to change you. I, I can't even believe that we're talking about it. It's, just, it's absolutely magical. And I just want to quickly touch on something because <clears throat> I'm obviously very cognizant of the fact that there is going to be a very high price point, right? Just yes. like a Disney cruise, not everybody feasibly can do it, especially if you have a family and, and your teachers, and maybe you can't go certain times a year. And I get it. But what I think the beauty of what's happening now is, is that, and looking into the future is your fandom can be explored and enjoy and expanded on in whatever way financially or otherwise 
that is appropriate for you. So if $6, $7 a month is the extent of what you can invest, then right, it is giving up that so that you can watch all of the Star Wars movies and Clone Wars and Rebels and Mandalorian on Disney Plus, and you can go online and talk about it with other friends. You can download a couple of podcasts for free, by the way, with Coffee with Kenobi and Forcecast, and just get, I mean, you guys have back catalogs as well as all the stuff that's coming in the future of conversations with like-minded people. You mentioned Star Wars Celebration coming to Anaheim this summer. If you thought last year's was big, imagine what the energy and the vibe of that is going to be. And if you've never been to a fan convention before, maybe that's the first one that you go out to if you can do it. Again, the spectrum of fandom is something that's very personal um, to you and you can enjoy it and explore it however works best for you and your family. The thing about the the future is that the people that we've discussed George Lucas, Walt Disney, their biggest thing was what's next? What's next? They were never satisfied with the moment. And John Favreau's uh, very, very much along that same line. The, sh- the way he makes The Mandalorian is forward thinking. It's always forward thinking. And as I was at, Dan mentioned it about Walt and his original dream for Disney World. And I, I, I do think that if Walt was alive and saw Star Wars, I think everyone said you know at the time that it should this seems like a disney movie this seems like something disney walt disney would have made i do believe that he would be the most excited about the things that star wars is happening because as i just for some reason i decided to brave the new year's time crowd and a few days ago we were at the polynesian to go to trader sam's and i was looking around thinking about this very thing and you know to the side is a man playing the ukulele and we're out on the patio and there's fireworks and you know, you see the villas and you think, okay, this is supposed to transport you to a Polynesian style area. But at the end of the day, there's still a security gate at the front and you've got to tap your magic band. And, and it's, there's just the limits that they had. It's amazing. Even to this day, I love going to places like the Polynesian and, and, and stuff, but with the, what the galactic star cruiser and rise the resistance and, and galaxy's edges, it's what's next. It's the future of storytelling. People would have proven they would rather sit at home in their pajamas with their own popcorn and soda and watch movies that way. I think people would probably pay $30 to get a brand new theatrical release to watch at home whenever they feel like it. The movie theater experience is something that is, is, is going away in a sense. People aren't going out to see as many movies. When you look at even VR, there are limits. You're still in your living room. But what Disney and Star Wars get to do is realize Walt's dream in a universe that we've all wanted to go to since 1977 and the galactic star cruiser i keep asking after rise of resistance what could possibly be (laughs) next you know and this is the answer to that this is what's next where you're going to park get in a ship fly away and not come back to earth for for multiple days and to me as a disney fan as a disney history nut as a star wars history nut as a star wars fan just the fact that the future of Star Wars is the future of storytelling. That's a new way to tell a story. You're telling a story. You're not just experiencing. You're not just sleeping at a hotel. You know, when you look out the window of the Polynesian, there's still a ferry boat, you know, depending on where you're staying, going across, and there's a, you know, a big honk, you know, coming through. People, there are still thousands of guests going. When you go to the Galactic Star Cruiser, you look out your window, you're going to see, like, spaceships. It's going to seem so real. When you're on that Star Destroyer hangar at Rise of the Resistance and you see the background and the space back there, it looks like space. And all of the holes in what Walt envisioned in which you still see 
cars and traffic and people and all these other things and, you know, lines and cast members getting people out of the way for parades. There's all these things that still have to happen. But what Galaxy's Edge and the Star Cruiser are going to do is really transport you to another world. And that, to me, is the most exciting thing is that the future of not only Disney, but storytelling is happening in the Star Wars universe. And they've done it in such a way that people like my wife, who I, I honestly don't think we could scounge up enough money together between the three of us to get her to watch a Star Wars movie right now, but would gladly go to Galaxy's Edge tomorrow. Maybe not tomorrow, but in February. <laughs> gladly go to De- Galaxy's Edge in February. And that is the beauty of it, is that somehow they found a way to make the future of storytelling, the future of Imagineering, and the future of Star Wars all line up in this perfect marriage that I don't think anyone could have predicted what we have. I mean, it's it's um, overstating the obvious to say that in 1977, Star Wars was was groundbreaking on so many levels. I think new ground is being broken now um, for and by and with Star Wars and Disney because of all the things that we just talked about. Look, again, coming full circle for me personally, the things that have happened, and I'm so grateful, like... It sounds stupid, but I am like I'm, I'm grateful and I'm thankful because Resistance and Skywalker and Mandalorian and Batu and OK, the Ronto Roasters like they've brought me back in. They have brought me back into that feeling that I had when I was a kid, like all of a sudden now sitting there watching the Mandalorian. I'm like, yeah, let's turn on Rebels. Let's turn on Clone Wars, something that I wouldn't have said before. I want to go back and experience rise of resistance i want to go hang out in batu i want to go with my son and i want to watch him build a droid and see him get excited about just looking around at the the details in in um in doc ondars and you know when i came out of the the film i i recorded both on audio and, and video my immediate reaction because i wanted it to be completely unedited and and absolutely authentic. And it's been interesting to watch people's responses and then the reaction to those responses online. Um, You know, the internet for as wonderful and wondrous as it is and has brought us together literally and figuratively, you know, can sometimes be an ugly, nasty place. And, And I will tell you that I am... And I think you should be um, unapologetic for however it is that you feel about Star Wars or Disney or any fandom. If you love it, then nobody else's opinions matter. You don't let Facebook or stupid Twitter or your friends or critics or even podcasters tell you that what you feel is wrong or stupid or fanboy with OI at the end, pandering or shilling or immature or rose colored or anything else like this is all about just having fun and the way that it makes you feel i love how i feel again about star wars like i literally like if you guys look up like i have my original 1977 (laughs) star wars blaster like i literally took it down and i like i wiped the dust off of it like i know it sounds so stupid and if you feel good after watching or playing or experiencing or visiting like let nobody tarnish that or take that feeling away from you. Um, and and I see that happening too often. And you know what? I, I'm I'm thrilled about the way I feel about it. I'm 
I'm ecstatic about the way my son feels that we can do this together and, and my wife and my daughter as a family. I love seeing you guys who are the most hardcore of, of hardcore fans and it's not only what you love, but it, it is what you do. Be able to look at it and yes, with a critical eye, still say you had fun and it touched you emotionally. Like it, it does it. It brings me joy seeing other people enjoy it. And I don't think anybody should let anybody else take that away from you if it's something that you like. I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, embrace what you love, be who you are. And uh, gosh, you know, it makes people happy. It makes people talk. It, it, it makes opportunities. Like I said, at the beginning of the show, people are taking pictures by the poster in the movie theater. Like people aren't even necessarily stars fans, but they know and recognize this is a really cool experience for some people. That's star Wars. For some people it's frozen for some people. It's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't think for too many people it's a DC movie universe, except for Wonder <laughs> Woman. Um, and that's all great. Like Just like you said, Lou, like what you like, enjoy it, embrace it, don't be ashamed of it. Uh, not everyone's going to share your passions. That's okay, too. There's a lot of slices of pie out there for us to enjoy. There's a lot, there's a lot for us to take in and experience. And to me, I'm biased, but Star Wars does it better than anybody. Even if I don't like everything Star Wars, but I like that I can have these conversations and make these new friends because Star Wars is to me is about collecting memories more than it is about memorabilia. Although I certainly have plenty of that. <laughs> it's about those memories and moments that we have and that we share. And then we look forward to sharing uh, tomorrow and in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now when Ryan will just be 20 in 50 <laughs> years. I think. Hey, it's going to pay off in the long run. Fellas. Yes, it but will. Here's, here's my, I think my take on that Lou and, and, and Dan, you guys both, nailed it the way the internet has gotten is it's so big and we're all gathered especially on twitter we're all gathered there but not really for a purpose everyone's just kind of there and so people are just kind of saying stuff and you can make you feel really bad about the things that you like or the way that you feel and i kind of likened it to being in the difference between swimming in a friend's or family's pool and swimming in a community pool if you give me two choices you're not going to catch me at a community pool but if you're going to give me a chance to swim in a friend's pool, and that's sort of how I've started to approach the internet, things like Lou's Facebook group and the communities like Dan that Dan has built for with Coffee with Kenobi and this show is that if you love Star Wars, hopefully we're creating a place that you can come, whether you hate episode seven, eight and nine and you love the Mandalorian or if you love one, two and three or if you love it all like I do, I love it all. It, the the fact of the matter is the internet's getting so big. The best thing you can do as a Star Wars fan, as a Disney fan, is don't feel bad for your choices, but find your friends and family's pools and maybe get out of the community pool. And that way you can find ways to discuss and have so much fun. I had to catch myself because as somebody who Star Wars has been so special and there have been times where it's not really been cool to be a Star Wars fan, even, you know, 10 before Disney bought it 10 years ago, you know, it was sort of like, oh, you're still into that thing. I thought it was over you know, who cares? You're a nerd, all this other kind of stuff. But, you know, I have to, as I, as I listen to everyone now talk about the Mandalorian and I hear them and they're clearly uneducated. You know, I, I think I literally heard in my third showing somebody coming in and be like, I think this is where baby Yoda is. And people are just there to be so excited about star Wars. I have to catch myself and say, this is amazing. This is fantastic. And that's the most important thing is that we should all celebrate the fact that this stuff is bringing us together and and Lou, the the best part of the rise of resistance media event wasn't the fact that i wrote it seven straight times it was that i got to watch your son nicholas you know grab you by the arm and be like that was so awesome over and over. even after the fifth time he was still saying did you see that did you see that 
And, you know, even uh, that, that, that's just, it's, it's multiple different ages that were on that cart together as we rode over and over again. And again, that's what I keep coming back to is that you should be excited about this stuff. Even if somebody comes up to you and say, I've never watched anything Star Wars, but this baby Yoda thing's got me all hyped. I want to watch it. I've telling everybody, don't worry about what you've seen or not seen before. Just watch it. And we'll get to the rest later because guess what? If you really love it, get on a plane, come to Orlando. You can go live it and get a Ronto wrapper too. That is, that's, that's, I just keep coming back to, I've never felt better about Star Wars for that very reason, because it's just great. Well, the worst thing about the Star Wars uh, Rise of Resistance media event is that I was invited, but I couldn't go and hang out with you two yahoos. But but seeing you guys experience it and catching your show on Facebook Live and then hearing the WDW radio recording of you two and uh, Becky, someone or other, I can't remember her last name. Um, that was <laughs> that was cool because again, you get to you get to experience it and live vicariously through your friends if you're not able to be there at those certain moments. If I could give everybody listening one piece of advice. It would be this. And this is what I tell my students. This is what I tell my kids. This is what my wife and I talk about. I don't need your permission to like or not like Star Wars. I just like it. Like whether you like it or don't, I'm still going to like it the same. Your opinion of it isn't going to shift mine anywhere or the other. I mean, I still like it. I want you to like it. I want you to not like it. That's totally fine with me. Like that's okay. Like I, I think it's okay to have your passions and your hobbies. And if other people don't share it, it doesn't devalue what you have or what you like or what you believe in. It's just a different perspective. And what a wonderful opportunity to have a conversation and see things from someone else's point of view. I mean, that's really one of the most important things that I think I can pass on. I Very well said, and I, and I agree 100%. And look, and that's the beauty of what we're able to do, right, is we share our passion, we share our fandom, and I think we become magnets for the type of people in the community that we want to attract, right? You know, there's um, maybe the the WW Radio Show and Coffee with Kenobi and Forcecast isn't for everybody, and that's okay. We want to do it for the people that that think and and are sort of in alignment with the way that we feel and and talk about the things that simply make us happy about going to Disney World, going on a cruise, or or going to see Star Wars. And I'm so grateful that Star Wars has brought us together and that we've become friends and been able to share this, uh, not just tonight, but at the events as well. And I hope to see you both in Batu and on the Halcyon and at Star Wars Celebration later on this year. Uh, in the meantime, Dan and Ryan, please tell people where they can find you and take in all of not just the Star Wars goodness, but the conversation and community as well. Well, thank you, Lou, so much. Again, it's always a pleasure to be on WDW Radio. Getting uh, that invite from you is always a thrill for me. Uh, and you can find me every week on Coffee with Kenobi, anywhere you can find podcasts. We've been doing the show for six and a half years. We want to make you think. We want to make you laugh. We don't do spoilers. We don't do speculation. We want to deal with what is. And what is right now is 42 years of mythology through comic books, through movies, through animated stuff, through novels, through conventions, through celebrations, through experiences with your family and friends. That's what we want to bring to the conversation. And you're very much a part of that. We like to share your feedback, have you on the show. It, it's just a great time to be a Star Wars fan, as we've all been saying. You never know when Ryan or Lou is going to show up or some of your other favorite Star Wars podcasters or personalities. We also have a Patreon page with an exclusive podcast. I just lost, just launched, danzymedia.com, so feel free to check that out as well. And I also write 
for StarWars.com and IGN to break down Star Wars and other popular culture topics. I just like Ronto raps. No. Um, <laughs> best place to go. We're on all the podcatchers, but best place to go is forcecast.net. We've got a weekly show that you can catch where we're talking about just, I mean, we, the last episode we had uh, an interview with a cast member from the movie um, and we had played your voicemails and discussed that. We're just very much a feedback show. Uh, we always say that Daniel, my co-host and I, the voices that listen have to be as important as the voices that talk every week. So that's sort of the environment we like to do. We have a separate show on the same feed called Forcecast Plus. We're breaking down every Mandalorian episode one through eight. Uh, so those are all up now. So as you watch, feel free to check out uh, Forcecast Plus, the Mandalorian recaps. And uh, I think this is usually the part you start fading out. I'm pretty sure you will because I talked to Becky today. She told me to tell her she's great and she never gets enough love on the show. And go eat a Ronto wrap. Thanks for having me, Lou. Becky's great. I'm pretty sure none of this is making the podcast. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. But thank you guys so very much for, for sharing your fandom uh, with me and with us. Um, all right. Well, I'll tell you what, give me your favorite over four plus decades give me your favorite star wars quote and ryan if it's misa going home i that this will be the last time you come on the show wow <sighs> favorite one why don't you go first lou <laughs> no no listen i asked you guys because i need time to think about <laughs> do or do not there is no try um, I, I well, gosh, I, I could give you my top three. Your, your focus determines your reality from Qui-Gon Jinn. You know, feel, don't think, use your instincts. Uh, and then every single word of dialogue between Luke and Yoda in The Last Jedi. Uh, either P. Yusa from Jar Jar or Yippee <laughs> from Young Anakin. No, oh. no. <laughs> I, my little, I felt that in my heart when you said Yippee. <laughs> That was indigestion, I think. Uh, yeah. It's actually from, and it's probably recency bias, but it's actually from The Rise of Skywalker. It's from Lando Calrissian. He says a few simple words, and it's, but there are more of us, Poe. There are more of us. I dig him. I dig him. I don't know what mine is. You know, it's it's probably going to be Obi-Wan Kenobi is my favorite character. It, it, it might be one from him. I'd have to think about it. But maybe that's a question for you, the listener. I'd love to hear your thoughts on... The rise of Skywalker, the resistance, the Mandalorian, what was, what is, and what is coming in Star Wars fandom. The best place to do that is go to the Box People group on Facebook. It's www.radio.com slash community. I'll also ask you there to share your favorite Star Wars quote. And if it's made a Schwartz be with you, that's perfectly acceptable too. Because for me, uh, Spaceballs is Star Wars canon. There it is. <laughs> It's time for our Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details and what you see, hear, maybe smell or taste. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's and select our winner. So last week, I brought you over to the beautiful new Riviera Resort. And of course, my question had to be somewhat food related because it was to tell me 
what is the name of the soon to be, I think, very, very popular rooftop restaurant at Disney's Riviera Resort? Again, thanks to the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct, and knew that it's called Topolino's Terrace. And kudos to those who actually gave me the full name, which is Topolino's Terrace Flavors of the Riviera, because it's inspired by the cliffside restaurants of the French and Italian Riviera. And it really is not just a culinary experience, but it's a multi-sensory experience with incredible views. Dare I say, some of the best restaurant review, review reviews and views that you'll find overlooking the lagoon, the Skyliner, and the nearby Caribbean Beach Resort. At night, you'll be able to see the nighttime spectaculars at Epcot or Disney's Hollywood Studios, or you can even go there for a prefixed Disney character breakfast. Stay tuned. A live dining review, I promise, is coming soon. Anyway, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one. Again, last week, you were playing for all of my digital products, which is my 102 ways to save money for an at Walt Disney World book and all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom's secret history, stories, and details broken out land by land. You can find both of those at www.radio.com, on Amazon, and in the iTunes store. I'm also going to send you a WW Radio vinyl sticker and a Magic Band cover. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Taylor O'Neill. So, Taylor, congratulations. Use the online form. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay. Because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So Walt Disney World Marathon Weekend is rapidly approaching as in this coming week. And it's really become more of an endurance and a running event. It's a fan event. It's a community event. It's a social gathering. And for me, it's a good excuse to carb load, even though I don't really run. I'm just there to cheer throughout the weekend. Anyway, Marathon Weekend has grown not just in number of races, but certainly number of runners and the number of additional opportunities that are available for runners, for spectators, and guests alike. But your question this week is simply to tell me, what was the year of the very first Walt Disney World Marathon race? Now, Google is your friend, but I'm even going to give you a little extra hint and let you know that the year that the race debuted, it actually included a run through all three of the theme parks in Walt Disney World. Not four, but three. So there you go. So you have until Sunday, January 12th, which actually happens to be Walt Disney World Marathon Weekend at 11.59 p.m. To go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there. Again, you're going to play for the book, the audio tours, the vinyl sticker, the Magic Band cover, and the warm and fuzzies, and just good feeling knowing that you're a winner. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Please be part of the community and conversation, not just about this episode, but all things the Disney Parks, Cruise Line, Marvel, Star Wars, and more. Please come be part of the WW Radio family by joining our community on Facebook at www.radio.com slash community. I also want to say huge thanks to everybody who is part of the Nation family and really has done so much to help support the show. I'm not only incredibly grateful to you and for you, but I also love being able to give back to you each month with scavenger hunts, group calls, and so much more. I want to thank some of the new members who joined the hundreds of you who are part of the Nation family, including Denise Watson, Kent Wilson, Peggy Teal, Rachel Novak, Kimberly Hazard, 
Avi, Erdfarb, Nikki Slater, and Caroline Berry. Thank you so, so very much. And if you want to find out how you can help not only support the show, but get some of those exclusive rewards every month, including scavenger hunts of the parks and cruise lines. We have a private Facebook group, custom Magic Band covers, logo gear, T-shirts, backpacks, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World and more, including access to our live video monthly group calls. Please visit www.radio.com support. And don't forget that a portion of your obviously optional contribution does go to our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Speaking of community and connecting, you can also connect with me on other social, including at Lou Mangiello on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me directly, lou at www.radio.com, or call the voicemail. Be heard on the air with a hello from the parks, a question, a comment about this or any shows, or something maybe you'd like to hear on a future episode. You can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WW1. And again, as much as I love connecting with you online and communicating with you there and in the Box People group on Facebook, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. It's why I continue now. I think it's almost 12 years consistently that we've been doing monthly meetups in Walt Disney World. We're literally going back to where it all began. The very first meet of the month was over Walt Disney World Marathon weekend about 12 years ago. We're doing it again this coming weekend, January 11th, Marathon Weekend. That's a Saturday from 2 to 3.30 p.m. at the Tomorrowland Terrace slash Noodle Station in Magic Kingdom. To find out more, RSVP, again, it's open to everyone. You don't have to be part of the running team, part of the community. You can come alone, bring the entire family. It's fun. It's free. It's 100% kid-friendly. Again, to find out more on RSVP, just let me know that you're coming. Visit www.radio.com slash events. There you'll also find out not only about upcoming Meets of the Month, but upcoming cruises, adventures by Disney, on-the-road events, and a few other things that I have planned as well. Speaking of on-the-road, I will be announcing some on-the-road meetups as I travel to speak. I'll be in San Diego in about a month and a half. I'll be overseas in Europe. Maybe we'll do a little meetup in Italy, if anybody is out there as well. And if you go to lumangelo.com, you can find out how it could maybe to come speak to your business, your conference, your event, or to your school, or work with you to help you turn what you love into what you do. Stay tuned. Over the next week or so, I'm going to be announcing dates Super early bird pricing from for my Momentum Weekend Retreat in Walt Disney World, as well as my Momentum Weekend Workshop coming up this fall. But in the meantime, if you want to find out how I can help you by working with you directly or upcoming events or other things that I have planned that I'm about to announce probably within the next three or so weeks, please go and visit LouMangelo.com. Thanks, as always, to Becky Mankin and the entire team over at MouseFanTravel.com. Whether you are coming to World land, cruise, adventures by Disney, or even a non-Disney vacation anywhere on the planet, she and her team can help you get the best possible prices, all available discounts, and it all comes at no cost to you. It's why they are my recommended travel provider, because it's who I use, and more importantly, it's who I trust for you to use as well. The incredible level of personal service that she and her team will give you is the reason why I've been using and more importantly, recommending them for I think it's back 12 years now. Again, you can go and find them for a free no obligation quote over at mousefantravel.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, and I mean that sincerely, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please take just 30 seconds to help spread the word. Let others know about it. 
Tweet out that you're listening. Share a link to this or your favorite episode on Facebook. It is incredibly, incredibly helpful. And if you can, go over to iTunes and leave a review. Thanks to you, we have more than 2,000 five-star reviews. Every single one is important. I read them all, and they are incredibly, incredibly helpful. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Alice in Disney Mom who said, for those who've asked where I found my Disney group or you belong to a clubhouse, it's Lou's podcast that started for me a year ago. It began WW Radio back in 2005. I've listened to eight out of more than 13 years of episodes. I just began back in 2012, which sounds so far so far away. The food reviews, interviews, DSI, the top, not so much, 10. Did I mention food reviews? Lou isn't re- a voice reading from a cue card. He's including each and everyone that listens to an episode just like you're there with him. I thought I knew so much about Disney, but realized very quickly it was only from movies, songs, and the one book I have on Walt. But today I can speak Disney. I've been introduced to many people I never thought would be friends, including one that lives only 20 minutes from me. I'm able to spread my love of Disney to my own children, nieces, and nephews, and give them the inspiration to soar to their dreams. If you have an ounce of like for Disney, take a listen to an episode, and who knows, you may just wake up your sleeping inner Disney nerd. Nurse JJ says it's professionally done, upbeat voice, and a clear, concise topic for every episode. It's so rare to have a clear and concise topic for podcasters to stay on point, although I do get a little tangential sometimes. Anyway, so many of the other Disney podcasts are slow. I don't want to read negative stuff about other podcasts. But anyway, uh, love this podcast and the theme, Don't Change. Nurse JJ, thank you very much. I understand the intent of what you're saying. Uh, KKane32 says it's a great source of Disney info. You can obviously see I don't read these ahead of time. I just sort of go through them live. Uh, The podcast is a fantastic way to pass the time until your next Disney trip, giving you plenty of information and history behind the parks. I was never a big podcast guy, but when I found Lou's show back in January, I instantly got hooked. He enjoys food just as much as I do, and I'd be lying if I didn't say I didn't use some of his recommendations for my next trip in September. Keep up the great work. And Chris Anderson, 75, says... It's a Disney Lover's Dream Podcast. W Radio has changed my life? Yikes. Lose love and passion for all things Disney. That's that's incredibly humbling. Makes every episode fun to listen to. Lou helps me sit back, relax, and enjoy my day at work when I listen to him and his friends and family talk about the new things coming to the parks and the oh-so-mouth-watering food reviews. Lou makes everyone feel welcome and makes everyone feel like a friend, whether we've met yet or not. Thank you so much for all that you've done and continue to do, Lou. Your hard work and dedication is greatly appreciated by this Disney enthusiast. Chris, K. Kane, Nurse JJ, and Alice in Disney Mom, thank you. And everybody else who has left a review so very much. Again, just search for WW Radio on iTunes or go to www.radio.com slash iTunes for details, instructions, and a link on exactly how and where to leave a review. And finally, most importantly, Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love and appreciate you as we start this new year and I'm always looking and and moving forward just like Walt told us to do, right? Is to keep moving forward. I did pause and I looked back on the past year and the past years and all of the incredible things that have happened because of you, because of the gift of your time and your attention and your love and support. You fuel my fire, you empower and enable me to do this and share it with you Um, and and the love that you give me in return means so very much you have impacted my life and the lives of others 
in such an incredibly positive way. I want you to know how appreciative I am for it. And I promise you, I will continue to move forward. I will always continue to try and improve and serve you and give back to you and bring joy to you in any way that I can. And if there's some way that I can help you, if I can do more, if you have an idea, something you want me to do or hear or see or even go taste for you, I'll do it. Just let me know. I hope that 2020 and the years that follow are your best ever. And as a wise, wise man who, like me, is trapped um, in a younger man's body, all it takes is faith and trust. Stay focused, stay positive, have faith in the course that you are on, and trust in the path that you are carving out for yourself. I hope that this is your best week ever. So until next time, thank you again. I love you so very much. See ya. Hey, Lou. This is Alex Fires calling from Hazelhurst, Georgia. It's been a long time since I've called. Um, I'm a little behind on all of my podcasts, but I'm finally catching up. And I just finished um, listening to the Japan um, recap, parts one and two, and I really enjoyed that. I am from a very small town, and so I've always... Um, I love getting out and traveling different places. I haven't been anywhere out of the country, but Japan has always been my number one place to visit. I actually have a friend that lives in Japan, um, not in Tokyo, but I've always wanted to go visit her. And just listening to your recap about your trip really, really makes me want to just go even more. Um, back in October, I thought I'd share this. Um, I took my mom to Disney World for her very first time, and her birthday is on Halloween. So we did that um, Halloween party, which was, it was wonderful, but it was very, very crowded. <laughs> um, I guess you always learn your first time. So we can't wait to do that again. And I took her to Epcot. We ate around the world. The Food and Wine Festival is still going on. And she absolutely loved that. And um, we went to Animal Kingdom one day, and she absolutely loved Pandora. So it was really fun just seeing her face, and it was just me and her having mom-daughter time, which is something we've never done, and it was just a really, really awesome experience. And um, I just want to encourage anybody that if you want to take your parents to um, Disney and they've never been, absolutely do it. I was honestly nervous because sometimes me and my mom are very different um, in our likes and dislikes, but we actually had a wonderful time, and I will never forget it. And she actually can't wait to go back and uh, take my two sisters, so it was very, very fun. Um, and also, I'm really hoping to get an annual pass this year. It's one of my um, big, um, on my to-do list, on my resolution is to try to get an annual pass for this year. And I've almost saved up enough to get one. And my dad and stepmom and two brothers and sisters are also traveling at the end of January to Disney World. So I'm really hoping to get an annual pass by that time so I can go down and visit them. And, yeah, I'm just really hoping that this year is going to be awesome. I really have a good feeling that it is. So I hope and pray that everyone that's listening has a wonderful year. And hope you all had a wonderful holiday season and Happy New Year. And I can't wait to see what's, you know, going on with everybody else and WW Radio. Have a magical day, you guys. Bye-bye. Hey, Lou. It's Christine Martin again from Flower Town, PA. I just um feeling a little nostalgic this morning. It's 8.30 on New Year's Day, and I realize this is the first official day of my new adventure. My new business. And I'm down to uh, one day a week at the vet hospital. 
and I never thought a year ago this is where I would be, but I just wanted to share that with you all. It's going to be an awesome year, best year ever, and looking forward to uh, bigger and better things. And someday I will make it to momentum because I can really offer help to keep my business moving forward. Anyway, Happy New Year. Couldn't have done it without all of you guys. I hope you enjoy your day. It's trying to snow here. It's happening yet. But hopefully the sun will come out. Take care. Make somebody smile. Brand new year. Brand new decade. Woohoo! Bye-bye. Darlene Yankee, formerly of West Seneca, New York, calling in to say Happy New Year to everybody, and I hope you all have a safe and healthy new year. We have about two weeks until our... Walt Disney World Marathon coming up. I will be doing the 5K, so um, also doing some training for the 10, half, and maybe the full, too. And then there is, oh, my goodness, about a month left until the New Orleans Adventure and the meetup. I would love to be there, but not sure if I'm going to make it to the pre-cruise. So, Everybody, please post pictures and have a magical day. And thank you, Lou, for everything that you do. And can't wait until the 2020 podcasts and events that you're going to be posting for all of the WDW Radio Fox family and everyone else that listens. Love you guys. Thank you. Let's go out with something really hot for these folks. A big hit out of 77. Ah, Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars. Give me the Star Wars. Don't let them in. Ah, Star Wars. If they should fire wars, please let these Star Wars. And hey, how about that nutty Star Wars bar? Can you forget all the creatures in there? And hey, Darth Vader in that black and evil mask, did he scare you as much as he scared me? Ah, Star Wars! Those near in Star Wars! My seventh winner up here! Star Wars! Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. The Force will be with you, always.